Like Zeb says, when it gets weird like this, it's a good thing. From the Bendu to Ahsoka's resurrection, the Force has taken us to some crazy places in the past 40 years. In this episode, we explore some of our favorite parts about this weird Force. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are talking all about weird force stuff, which, <laughs> yes, that's the title. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's probably the most descriptive title we've ever had for an episode. Yeah, usually we go with like. I don't know. I'm, I can't even think off the top of my head, but we usually go with like the most short, <laughs> like not even funny title. I know, we don't do that. I know. I, know? I feel like it's very informal and not that our titles are formal, but it's like art and preservation and The Last Jedi, question and answer and like very straightforward. And I suppose that this is quite straightforward too, but it's also just like, well, it's weird. <laughs> weird horse stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone says, right? Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's what Zeb said. So. hmm <laughs> <laughs> So, we're, it feels, we're in this weird part right now, I feel like. When this episode comes out, we might be two days away from receiving the Rise of Skywalker trailer, mm-hmm. but we're in between Force Friday and the Rise of Skywalker full trailer, and then, like, the full onslaught of everything, like, TV spots, and then the beginning of Mandalorian. Like, I think we keep saying this, that we're, like, really... <laughs> I do feel like we're we're now. When I used to say we're on the precipice, I do feel like we're like we're we're in a light jog right now. But <laughs> off the precipice. <laughs> yeah, off the precipice. <laughs> oh God! See, I was gonna say that we are like standing on the edge, and we're looking over. And Monday, should the trailer drop, then is when we just fall. when the cosmic force gives us a literal push off the edge and we just tumble into the void of star wars i think we're already tumbling in the void that's the thing but you said we were jogging (laughs) okay okay imagine imagine it like this okay this is actually how it is so it's like a road runner you know, when he's like running off the cliff and he runs on air for a couple seconds and then he realizes that he's not on the cliff anymore and then he falls. We're running on air right now. It's so true. And when the trailer drops, that's when we're going to fall. It's so true. It's so true. That's the best metaphor. <laughs> that's just the second time we brought up Looney Tunes, which is weird. Oh my God. On the <laughs> Back this summer, if you guys don't remember, Charlotte was like, I'm going to go to Galaxy's Edge. And I was like, well, I'm going to Six Flags. <laughs> we were going on the same day. But Charlotte was going to the opening of Galaxy's Edge and I was going to Six Flags. <laughs> and I yep. was like, I'll bring you back some Looney Tunes merch. And we actually had a too long conversation about Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's true. Okay, but in this episode, we are not talking about Looney Tunes. I know. You weren't expecting that, but we are going to be talking all about weird stuff in the force. And I think this goes without saying, but this is another one of those episodes where we feel the need to put a disclaimer that there is no way we are going to be covering everything that has ever been said about the force or will be said about the force. But we're kind of going to be talking about our favorite parts and then some of the things we haven't really talked about 
before, actually, on the show, which I'm pretty excited about. But before we do get started in our parts, we've got to start with a quote from Dave Filoni. (laughs) Always. All about the Force. And this quote came from an interview. I believe it was from IGN, but it was an interview from Dave um, at the end, no, at the beginning of season four for Rebels. So he says, quote, Well, the Force is the most core important thing in Star Wars, the magic of it. And you have to be careful when you flesh it out because you don't want to rob from the magic of it by over-explaining it. But I've had had a lot of talks with George about it and what was important about the Force. And I thought I had an opportunity to further explore some of those themes, to really set them down so people have more examples of what George believed the Force was about. It's selfish. It's selfless nature versus it's selfish nature about when you wield it, what the result of that can be, and how to relate to it on a very personal human level. I got a little bit more into what I believe is the living force that we used to talk about and somewhat the force that's all around us, the force of nature. A lot of people focus on the light side and the dark side through the Jedi or the Sith, which is those people taking the force and using it for their own well, sometimes selfishly, selflessly, and sometimes selfishly. But it's a little bit different, and understanding the idea that the force exists apart from the Jedi and the Sith, they don't have sole dominion over it. And so I was bringing some of those ideas a little bit further out into the open that we had dealt with with on with George on the Morda trilogy, and then the Yoda arc in Clone Wars. So it was really fun, and people seemed to like the ideas and like the stories that we had told. And that, again, I credit back to the source material and the fundamental ideas that George set down. End quote. So good. It's really good. I think I think Dave has a lot of good things about to, say, to say about the Force, obviously. And what I like is that his ideas really do always kind of circle back to conversations he had with George, which I think is important to bring up because obviously he's created a lot of Star Wars material <laughs> with mm-hmm. and without George. So I think we should keep that quote in mind as we kind of move through some of these parts because I think it will come up. Um, so for part one, we're going to be talking all about the different kinds of force powers. In part two, we're going to be talking about force users. And then in part three, we're going to be trying to talk about some of the mysteries of the force. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, welcome to part one where we're talking all about people who have cool powers within the Force. And it was interesting when we were talking about how to divide out this episode when we were putting down our notes and stuff. And I think that I'm actually really interested to see our discussion on Force powers because I feel like it's something we talk about in passing a lot with our characters as they come up, but it's not something we've ever kind of dug into, um, especially all of them together. <laughs> totally. So some of the characters that we're going to be talking about is Ezra, R, Ezra Mace, Quinlan Vaz, Sifo-Dyas, things like force projections, force pawns, and seeing new aspects of the force as we kind of move through the trilogy, mainly things like the force bond and like Kylo stopping the laser beam uh, in The Force Awakens, which I know shocked all of us, me especially. Um, so the first one that I want to talk about is actually Mace because as you all know, he's not my favorite Star Wars character, (laughs) but I actually really enjoy his force power, which if you don't know Mace, um, 
he actually has a whole book about it or it's legends now right called shatter points mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. the revenge of the sith novelization i got to bring it up this time the revenge of the sith <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the first time that's ever happened <laughs> Charlotte, have you read The Revenge of the Sith novelization? It's really good. <laughs> I haven't. Caitlin, tell me more about it. <laughs> well, The Revenge of the Sith novelization is adapted from the screenplay by George Lucas. It was written by Matthew Stover, and George Lucas had, like, a lot of editing power in this book. Like, Matthew Stover was, like, he would go and change individual words. So, like, you know what's in there is because George Lucas wanted it in there. And I Thank think Thank you for this valuable piece of information, Caitlin, <laughs> that I really did not know. I think that's, like, a really important thing to remember about The Revenge of the Sith so novelization. Is- it's it's so true, actually, because often people <laughs> cite it as this is me being annoying. <laughs> yeah, often people cite it as not canon, but and I think it does exist out of the current canon, like library. But at the same time, it was like personally edited by George Lucas, so how can it not at least have one foot in canon? You know? Yeah, I think I think Revenge of the Sith definitely has like a foot and a half in canon. Totally, all the novelizations do. I think mm-hmm. because they are based off of the screenplays. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in that book that you really should get around to reading, there is this great description of Mesa's power, which I think is also referred to as shadow points in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. And basically, Mace has this ability in battle to see all of the webs that are connecting people and kind of it's kind of described like he can see their weaknesses and he Mm -hmm. can see the moment and how they're gonna break like their shatter points and he talks about especially with like between obi-wan and anakin and how in a way they're kind of each other's shatter points which i just think is like such an interesting power to have in the force and none none of our other characters really have like kind of I don't know I feel like this is a very emotional power for someone that I don't really view as an emotional character that's so true it really is I, I don't I can't remember now what came first like was it Matthew Stover's book that's I think now Legends called Shatterpoint or was it the Revenge of the Sith novelization but I think you're so right that it, it this idea of like seeing someone's potentially emotional weakness comes from a character that I don't think I don't even know if I would uh, say that Mace was someone who would understand people's weaknesses but maybe he doesn't necessarily understand them maybe he just recognizes them I think that's kind of almost (laughs) almost the will of the force to give a person (laughs) like how many times are we going to sneak that into this conversation (laughs) um to give a character like Mace that kind of power because he is so strategic that he is able to disconnect from that emotion. You know, like if Anakin had that power, like if that was his force ability, he would be like, oh my God, let me help you. You're so sad. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but Mace is someone who can see it and be like, oh, that's your shatter point. I totally know how to beat you now. and that really works as a man and that sounds really cruel I guess and and I don't even mean it like that but it just gives him an upper hand in battle and I wonder I don't know it'd be interesting to know how Mace or if Mace used that to his advantage growing up in the Jedi Temple or if he always utilized it as a strategic 
power like in battle and things like that. I'm just surprised that I never we haven't seen this come up again because it really does seem like a really good story element <laughs> and mm-hmm. something that can be applied to other Jedi, other Force users. But from my memory, I don't think I've ever seen it again. Yeah, I wish it would have been something that had been explored in Clone Wars because I think it it would have been really interesting, especially like with Mace talking about being worried about Anakin or something like that. Because theoretically, Mace would have been able to see that Ahsoka represents a a shatter point for Anakin. And Mm -hmm. because Yoda definitely does, I think. I don't think he would call it the same thing or he sees it the same way, but he sees Ahsoka as an opportunity and also a risk for Anakin to grow an attachment to a Padawan like her. So I think that as their relationship grew and all of the times that Ahsoka was in danger and Anakin was like dropping everything to go and save her, that Mace, it would have been an opportunity to bring that up and Mace would be like, I've seen that that is not great. What's going on there? Uh huh. I don't know. I think that you're. I think you're so right. Maybe it, was it? It wasn't explored in the Clone Wars, right? I don't, I don't think have so. a memory of that, but I don't know. I, my my Clone Wars memory is like so selective, so I could be wrong about <laughs> yeah. that. Shell really has very selective <laughs> Clone Wars memory. <laughs> there are some things that she remembers perfectly like scene for scene and then just like whole swaths of seasons that she's like that didn't happen (laughs) i I think i've asked you to like can you explain x arc to me because i don't remember it and i know that happened when that happened one time like fairly recently and by fairly recently i mean like within the past year you were like so like onderon what was that And then I was like, oh, yeah, You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that now. I'm like, what do you mean what was on around? It's like one of the best arcs. Ligurians, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who are they? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was the – yeah. Oh, I just couldn't remember. I remember the question that I had recently was like if the Ligurian arc was related to the Death, Death Watch one and if like I was just making that up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like I just need clarification, guys. Like it's not You know we need we just need it to be on Disney. I need, Plus. It to be on Disney Plus. <laughs> I need Disney Plus. So badly. <laughs> okay, speaking of the Clone Wars, let's talk about Quinlan Voss. Quinlan. Because Quinlan Voss such a cool character. Honestly, and a pretty attractive character too. <laughs> and <laughs> Like, come on. <laughs> you said that, like, so thirstily. <laughs> like, so he's, like, really cool and also <laughs> really attractive. Like, I don't know. He, there, he, there's, I think it's honestly part of his character, though, that he's, like, this bad guy, but he's also a Jedi, and he's, like, Mr. Cool Dude, and he just has this swagger, and he has this look. It's just great. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> Quinlan Voss. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> tell us about tell us more about Quinlan Voss. Okay, so Quinlan Voss is the coolest thing about Quinlan Voss besides everything is is I'm like really unleashing some major Quinlan Voss thirst here that I've never really talked about. No, never. But we're here and we're going. So give us more. Okay, anyway, Quinlan Voss actually has the coolest. Jedi gift ever and I honestly think it might be my favorite the psychometry gift which is when he touches an object he can the starwars.com uh definition is acquiring information about people or events associated with an object solely by touching it whoever used that ability received input from sight sound and emotions so basically he'd touch an object and he would get 
like touch memory from it. And it's so cool because the story implications, it just reminds me of like Harry Potter. It's just magical. It's very cool. And I I remember reading Dark Disciple and they really go into this uh, in Dark Disciple, Quinlan Voss's psychometry. And it, I think actually, I'm sure people are going to write in and let us know, but I think this is a carryover from Legends, even though I just was not that familiar with Quinlan, Quinlan Voss and Legends, even though I think I did read some Anakin and Obi-Wan book with him in it. Anyway, what was interesting to me reading Dark Disciple after seeing The Force Awakens was thinking about whether or not Rey has partially this ability. And I think it's something really interesting to explore because all these gifts are, I don't know, it's its interesting to think about, like, in some way, do all Jedi who have the Force, Jedi, anyone who has the Force, have something like these gifts and it only expresses itself in... Uh, like more so in other people if they gravitate towards it because of their personality or something. Like I remember actually Dave talking about that faintly with Ezra and his like kindness towards uh, creatures. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that, Caitlin? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't like it wasn't like a natural like a special forced gift, but it was like what manifested from the force because of Ezra's personality and compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. And I wonder, like, if, if, like, Quinn, you can't, when we talk about, like, these special affects of uh, Force users, it's not like a video game where you have, like, these, you know, it makes you stronger with your, like, shatter point. It makes you stronger with your psychometry. Like, sure, it does. But I don't think that that's the way that in Star Wars we look at things. And so I do think that, in a way, Rey had this ability that Quinlan Voss has or has or tapped into it somehow because the force wanted her to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's so interesting. What I what I like about Quinlan Voss's power is this idea that we are kind of imprinting on objects as we like use them. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I really like that idea of an object kind of being imbued with the personality and the emotions and the events of the things going on around it. But it makes me think of the kyber crystal even and how the kyber crystal is like yeah. is alive and um, feeling things that the user feels and um, how it calls to people and how it's like uh, really truly symbiotic to the force user, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example on like how it responds to the force user and can be bled mm-hmm. and things like that. What I think is the good question you brought up about Ray having this power or something similar to it, but at the same time, it's like, is there are there types of objects that then take on lives of their own? Because Ma says that the the lightsaber called to you specifically, or is it the memories that have been placed into the lightsaber? that are part of the force that are calling to her and the lightsaber is just a vessel for it. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting question. And then like you brought up with Ezra, it's like this isn't necessarily like theoretically any Jedi or force user could do the things that Ezra does. Mm -hmm. But because Ezra has these abnormal, I don't mean the word abnormal, but like abnormal levels of compassion for others, it can be manifested into a way that allows him to communicate with creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's interesting. Do, does, is Quinlan able to turn it off? I don't think so. Do we so. know that? I don't think so. Or does so. he just like always 
get memories whenever he touches things because that could be a little annoying. Oh, my God. I wouldn't want to touch anything. <laughs> you, never. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's I'm sure like he's able to control it. Yeah, I, I'm sure he is, too. Um, I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if Quinlan is out drinking or something like that. Like, it, when he gets inebriated and every, like, glass he touches, he just sees memories of all these other people's drunken names. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the first thing you thought of? <laughs> that would be crazy. But be, really because, like, he's inebriated, he can't turn it off. Yeah. You know? So he's just, like constantly seeing all these other people falling down. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I think that's really funny. <laughs> Me too. Um, okay, so next is someone we've recently learned a lot more about, which is Sifidius, mm-hmm. which Sifidius is also someone who is still very shrouded in mystery, but super cool, I think. Um, and we learn a lot about him from Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice and then Kevin Scott's uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. I always mix up the name of that book. <laughs> I'm always like, Jedi Dooku Lost? Dooku Lost Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Jedi comma Dooku Lost. <laughs> I think everyone does that. It's Now I'm confused. I don't remember what it is, but it's the it's audiobook. <laughs> Dooku Jedi Lost. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> by Kevin Scott, which is also now you can buy the script version, which I haven't yet, but I think I want to because I really, really enjoyed that audio drama. And it was really fun as an audio drama. And it'd be great to have the book to highlight and things like that. But Cyphogeus had visions. His, And I don't even know if this could be considered a force power because I feel like all force users and the Jedi in particular had visions but Cyphodeuses are like debilitating Mm -hmm. visions and he has to one of the craziest things from Dooku Jedi Lost is that Kastana who is Cyphodeus's master tells Dooku that at some point in story that Cyphodeus has been sent away like basically to a Jedi asylum for people for Jedi who suffer from these types of visions and that the Jedi are actively like squandering this specific type of vision in their students, which was so glossed over in the book, (laughs) in the (laughs) audio drama. And I was like, wait a second. Like the Jedi are sending people away who have intense force visions and trying to make them not have them anymore, which is so eerie and so crazy. And we learn a little bit through that book and and I think, or that audio drama and some in Master Apprentice too, that the Jedi, like the ancient Jedi, they were all kind of having these visions all the time. And it was the kind of power that they all leaned into collectively. But along the way that has been lost and like literally packaged up and sent away. So crazy. I think it's also interesting because I think that when I was reading about Sifo-Dyas and his intense visions, it's hard not to think about Anakin and how mm-hmm. his visions totally plagued Anakin, but it wasn't like he was sent away to an asylum, but he almost yeah. kind of in this weird way, like an asylum of his mind. And I don't know. I think that it's it's I think it's interesting just to put all of these force powers that we're talking about in the context of Skywalker. And, like, our main movies. Because, like we mentioned, like, psychometry, you know, Ray has experienced that. And on some level, Kylo has, too, because that that, that shared vision that she has, right? 
-hmm. And then the shatter point, like seeing someone's weakness or, um, yeah, like understanding someone's folly, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think is something that is pretty, I don't know, it's like almost kind of expressed. Like you can kind of like weave this web to make that, like I think that like Ray knows Kylo's weakness, Kylo knows Ray's weakness, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you think about, yeah, and then you think about like intense visions and you think about how everything really happened due to Anakin's own intense visions like his his fall really was set forth by like the catalyst that was his visions and so we have these like smaller side characters who have I don't know like greater I don't know they're like plagued with these not plagued uh, kind of plagued slash blessed with like this like intense force power Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting to like think about if it really I mean it is really all one story um how does it really relate back to the skywalkers and what is this character telling us about our main characters and how they experience the force yeah because when you look at Syphagius part of his and you're right it is it is a, a blessing and a curse for him because the visions that he's getting are of the downfall of the Jedi and it's to the point where he can't even function. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the kind of knowledge the Jedi should have been listening to, but instead they chose to send him away. And it, it kind of makes you wonder because, like, in the book, Kastana, in the audio drama, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep You can say book that. because I think that it's, it's a book now. Yeah, it's a printed script. Um, so in the book, Kastana like her and Juku and Sifidius are all in this cave and we're going to talk about it later. We've talked about it before, but they have Sifidius succumbs to one of these visions and Kastana basically leads him through this meditation leads them all through this meditation to help bring him out of it. And it makes you wonder what exactly goes on at the asylum. And I can't remember if this was before or after he had been to the Jedi asylum. Again, that's just so insane. (laughs) Like, I, it really is. I can't get over it. I literally cannot. <laughs> um, but it really makes you wonder, like, what kinds of tactics they were doing. Like, who exactly is running this asylum out there? Do the general Jedi know about it? How many people are actually there and what are their visions? Is Are, are all of them having the same vision? Like, imagine if the cosmic force is projecting this same intense vision to all of these Jedi-like Sifo-Dyas and they're all being locked up. Like, like the cosmic force is trying to do like a megaphone of like, you're in danger. You're screwing things up. <laughs> and <laughs> they're just all being locked away and basically rehabilitated to not have these kinds of visions anymore. Um, I think there's such a horror film in there waiting to happen. Oh, my God. Uh, right? You're so right. Like, yeah. I think if they don't do something with that, I'll riot because that is just the craziest thing, one of the craziest things I've ever heard in a Jedi book or something I just wasn't expecting (laughs) ever from the Jedi. But – I just it's it's one of those things like Sifo-Dyas in in the in the book and in Master and Apprentice he really does represent he is such a representation of how the force was utilized by the Jedi in the past and how much has been lost and how much has been squandered to or stamped out really kind of forcibly 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 removed from <laughs> <laughs> from the Jedi's day-to-day lives. Yeah, so true. 
So another person that we should talk about, and we already have kind of talked about a little bit, but just it bears mentioning, Ezra has a unique ability to communicate with like basically like nonverbal creatures and like all creatures except for the spiders on um with the bendu which mm-hmm. i th- always thought was kind of interesting that he like struggled to uh connect with them right yeah but Caden does actually yeah yeah um but Ezra's own compassion that is expressed through his you know uh ability to understand comes back so much with in the I mean, spoilers, I'm not going to go straight for it, but um, with the Purgles, the Purgles seem like you watch that episode and you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, yeah, Ezra can talk to these space whales, sure. But then it comes back around and his compassion um, help, saves them because of this this power that he has to like speak with creatures mm-hmm. and to understand them. And it's crazy how much you I think I think we can talk about spoilers here. It's it's been a couple of years. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh <laughs> but we will be talking about the end of Rebels. So <laughs> if you aren't caught up or don't know how it ends, you can skip forward a couple minutes. But it's crazy when you think of just how much that that power grows. And I think the Purgles are a great example because that was in season two of Rebels. And then by the end, he's able to communicate with them from who, like, how did he reach out to them? Like, how did he get them there on the ball? I don't, that's a really good question. You know, and, and maybe there is an answer that I've just forgotten about, but either way, it shows this great amount of growth and honestly, like mastery of that power that he does have or of that Mm -hmm. um, magnification of that compassion to be able to communicate with creatures and theoretically from great distances away. I don't know. It's kind of incredible when you think about it, like how he was able to set all of that up. And as far as we know, or as far as we've forgotten, you and I, <laughs> he didn't mm-hmm. leave Lethal to go and talk to the Burgles and be like, so at this time, I need you to come here. <laughs> um, <laughs> or rather, no, 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 no. It was um, that that other kid. Remember at the end, he was like, Ezra told me his plan and I didn't think, I thought he was crazy, but like, this is what we got to go do. Um, do you remember that? <laughs> Mark. Mar- yes, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, like, Ezra was able to do some things so that the Purgles, like, listened to Mart or something. You know what I mean? Like, Ezra did something there and back in season two as well in order mm-hmm. to form this bond with the Purgles that was pretty unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Well, Ezra saved the Purgles. They were dying and they were in an area where they basically couldn't breathe. In season Mm -hmm. two, and only Ezra understood that they weren't menacing evil creatures, but they were things that were in need of sustenance and help and compassion, and Ezra provides that. And I think it's it's such an amazing point of his character. And that's the thing about all these uh, force... What what is the word for it? Like, we need to have a word for this. Users? Force power, I guess. Force powers is what we were calling it before. Um, Force... Force special force abilities. abilities. It sounds so video game, and like I feel like Star Wars doesn't want us to think about it that way. And that's what that's what keeps yeah. like tripping me up is that these force users have this ability, but it doesn't make them 
better than anyone else who has the force. Do well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think an excellent example of that is because we've seen this idea of like giant misunderstood monster yes. throughout Star Wars a couple of times. And we have a whole episode on monsters that came out right around this time last year, if you're interested. Sure. Um, but like one of the more recent examples is Niku and Resistance, which if you're not watching Resistance – you should be watching Resistance. <laughs> uh, but in one of the – and this isn't like a big spoiler for Resistance. But in one of the season one episodes, Niku has this like tiny pet that he communicates with and he like forms a relationship with. And then the mother, which is this like giant monster, basically attacks the Colossus to try and get her baby back. And Niku is the one who finally understands that she's not really evil. She's just – you know, a mother. Um, mm-hmm. And he's the one that's able to form a bond with her. And, you know, as far as we know, Niku isn't a force user and he doesn't have force abilities. But I don't know, perhaps I guess you might be able to infer that the force helped bridge that communication between them. Right. Um, off the top of my head, I can even just to kind of bring it back to our Skywalker saga. And I'm, I'm not going to apologize for doing that, but I do think that it is something that we should do just because when we look at secondary characters to our saga story it is important to like like I said before to put everything into context with like our core main force users um Ray also has this I mean I think the number one word that most people use to describe Ray is compassion and it is expressed in this ability to understand and communicate with and uh, save creatures. Like it happens in Forces of Destiny. Forces of Destiny is like a great distillation of Ray's character and who she is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that one episode on Jakku, uh, I think I can't remember what it's called. It's something worm, right? It was like that big worm that yeah. she that was like fighting her, but then she it she just realized it was hungry, just like her, mm-hmm. and then she like basically fed it. And I, I don't know. I just feel like there's something about Ray as well that her compassion is so powerful that it can even be expressed through. And I think that maybe this is the force talking through her. And maybe at that point in Force of the Destiny, she didn't realize it was the force. But yeah. I think that it is this like this ability to understand and the ability to know what everyone around you is thinking. Because just like the force says, like you're symbionts, you are you know, what happens to someone else will affect the other and you have to create this balance. And that's something that I think Ray is familiar with, that Ezra is familiar with, that we see so many characters be familiar with and respect with the Force. Mm-hmm. One of the funny things from doing our research on this, kind of to bring it back to the Purgles, is we were watching lots of Rebels Recon episodes. And <laughs> at the end, you know what I'm going to say, at yeah. the end of season two, they're doing this big like interview with everyone about on Rebels Recon about, you know, what were your favorite parts of this season, blah, blah, blah. And Dave Filoni is like, I loved every episode. And I know that there are some that the fans call fillers and it flashes this like whole little clip montage of the purgles and he's like but you don't know how important those are going to be later on (laughs) 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 it was just so pointed (laughs) and i just i think it's so funny because like the way it's edited, it's like, Purgles, important. Purgles, important. <laughs> and all of us in season four were like, I didn't see that coming. 
<laughs> and Dave was like, I told you. It was just so funny. Maybe you like, should listen to me. I know. Like, it was just – his delivery was so great. He was like, I know that the fans call them fillers, but like you just don't know. You just don't know how important they are. <laughs> so great. And he was very right, of course. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. that was really funny. I had a good – laugh (laughs) okay so next are not powers that are kind of secluded to people but of course we're going to be talking about rank kylo and luke and force projections and force bonds and if you remember when the last edit came out one of the like big one of the hang-ups for a lot of people who don't enjoy that movie is the force projection more than the force bond, which I'm actually kind of surprised about, honestly. I think everyone was like, mm-hmm. that's super cool. And then force projection, they were like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what The thing that I think is really interesting about the force projection compared to the other kind of abilities that we've discussed is that the force projection is something that requires more from you as someone who is doing it. And the fact that it can and does deplete your energy to the point where you die. Um, Whereas none of our other abilities, at least the ones we've discussed here, have really done that. I think the force visions, the kind that Sifo-Dyas have, are the closest to that. But I don't even really think that that's as comparable to the force projection. The force projection really is power and more so in the, like, if I was anti-video game metaphor before I think this is more video game metaphor (laughs) because it like you're you're right it does deplete your energy and power and you have to it takes so long my understanding is that it's this is something that like you have to be like a Jedi master to do and it I mean I guess I I have nothing to base that on yeah but it it seems like something you have to to learn like you have to actively study because kylo kind of implies so much in the first one with ray because that's what he thinks is going on which means that he's learned about it which means hypothetically maybe he should know that luke can do it or luke was trying to do it or teaching them about it or something like that because he's like how are you doing this (laughs) like like, you don't know anything yeah the effort alone would kill you well, that's what's so great about that scene on Crate is that Kylo is just so freaking triggered by seeing Luke that he's just completely blinded by everything he knew before. Mm-hmm. When when the Force Bond kicks into action with Rey, he's more like, this is cool. How did this happen? Oh, look, a but pretty with, girl. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, a pretty girl. How is this even happening? Wow, neat. Let me slide with my socks. <laughs> With with Luke, <laughs> with Luke, it's more like I have to kill him. He did a like he ruined my life. I don't care how he's here because my brain can't even process that right now because of how basically triggered he was, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that that is it's important. It was so smart, I think, of Ryan Johnson to put that line in the beginning of the Force Bond, like, "How are you doing this? The effort would kill you," because later we're like oh my god he knew but he's just dumb and he (laughs) forgot and he was blinded by this selfish action the dark side Mm -hmm. yeah and and fear too and anger yes yeah i think that i kind of relate the force projection for me in the last jedi that was kind of like 
be Chewie's bowcaster in The Force Awakens, where it wasn't <laughs> something that we all picked up on originally. And I remember the first time, the first couple times watching The Force Awakens, I was like, can they just chill with the bowcaster? No, the first time we watched it, I was like, that. Well, we need to back up because I feel like people don't really know what we're talking about. In The Force Awakens, Han Solo makes so many comments about the Chewie's bowcaster, and he's like, wow, can I borrow this? Wow, this is cool. Like, man, this thing's really powerful, whatever. And I remember the first time we saw that, and I leaned over to you, I remember that, and being like, uh, there's no way that in like 40 years of working together, he Han has never held Chewie's bowcaster. I know. Well, that's what we were saying. We were like, what is up with the bowcaster? But the, the important <laughs> thing about the bowcaster that we didn't pick up on for like a, a while <laughs> is that the whole point of being like, whoa, the bowcaster, wow, the bowcaster, is that it's so freaking strong, but it like doesn't take down Kylo Ren. So it's like to amplify yeah. how strong Kylo Ren is, really. Like that's the point of the bowcaster, well, not the. Oh, I think I don't think that's actually the point of the bowcaster. I think the bo- the point of the bowcaster is how strong the bowcaster is to debilitate Kylo Ren. But I think it's both because you see it just like blow people off their feet like easily, <laughs> but Kylo barely stumbles back. Well, I always thought that that was because Chewie didn't go straight for the heart with Ben. Yeah, but like he still shot him in the stomach. Like the guy was standing yeah. on a ledge with no railings. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs> Who got that past safety inspection? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's both. Like yes, it's to show that it's a strong weapon itself, but for as strong as it is, it still doesn't take down Kylo. So it's like, well, he's that much stronger himself too mm-hmm. and, and also like Chewie doesn't aim for the heart but he definitely I mean how much was he aiming before at stormtroopers <laughs> and they just went <laughs> a flying <laughs> mm-hmm. okay all that to say is that I feel like the way that Kylo talks about force projection in the last Jedi where he's like it's so strong or it it you don't have enough power the for the effort alone would kill you that's for us to make the connection later on. They're like, oh, this is something that only a Jedi Master can do. Luke can only do it, and even it kills him. Like, that effort even kills Luke. But I don't think that that wasn't that connection wasn't something that I made immediately upon viewing mm-hmm. The Last Jedi. I think it took a couple times of, like, actually remembering what was being said and when it was being said and what it was about to be like, oh, that's that connection there. And, yeah, it does make me wonder a lot kind of what – how much Kylo knows about it, or rather how much Kylo knows what Luke can and can't do with that power. That's true. I never really thought about that. I just think that it's really funny to think back about the response that The Last Jedi got and Ryan Johnson. Like, so many people were like, that came out of nowhere. What the heck was that? The Force projection. Like, I've never seen that before. And Ryan had that great Twitter thread that he probably deleted that was like 20 photos long uh, that started with him in his chair, a photo of his book, book like his huge bookshelf, and like it going closer to like his Star Wars section on his bookshelf, and then some really old book that was like a reference book of like a Star Wars reference book about like old, not canon um, things, and force projection was in there. And I just remember like 
the the thread had like no comments it was just uh, or, like no captions it was just photos it was so great was, and then it, people were like oh wow so <laughs> good i think it was the weren't there like books of the jedi and sith i was i i thought it was that but i'm i'm doubting myself I so i didn't want to say that i think that's what it was because i think then a lot of people were like trying to read into where like what books were around the jedi books in his shelf and like where he had <laughs> the sith book exactly like trying to analyze <laughs> that or something yeah i think that's a really interesting point though that you brought up about what ben could have known about luke's power I just had never thought about that before. And like what other interesting things with the Force, because we know that this list isn't like finite, could Luke do or was he studying to do that Ben knew about? Yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> what Same. millions of other things could Luke have learned that he, that even before he necessarily started the temple kylo would have known he was doing just because they're family and perhaps luke was showing him before they even started formally training or something like that you know it it always makes you think too like has has kylo met yoda like what does he know (laughs) um it makes me think about kylo having this very academic knowledge of the force that ray doesn't have but she's still so intuitive that she is at his level immediately um, but Kylo mm-hmm. has a lot of that intuition himself too, but he also is able to look at something like the four spot and be like, you're not doing this. <laughs> you're, you're definitely not that strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and back to what he tells her at the end of the Force Awakens, like you need a teacher, um, because he knows the value of education. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kylo Ren. <laughs> he understands. Kylo Ren. <laughs> Stay in school. <laughs> Stay in school. <laughs> But he does. Like, he uses that. And I think that goes back to her whole discussion about Ray and Kylo having shared visions and how that great theory that they have been having visions of each other their whole life. And Kylo, the way that Kylo talks about Ray in The Force Awakens before he meets her is very strange. Like, it's almost like he recognizes the girl. Like, it's not just like, who is this scavenger? It feels very specific and it feels like it's coming from a place of recognition. And if they have been having these shared visions their whole life, and if they're having that shared vision that Ray has on Tokadana and he's partaking in that vision as well at the same time, and they see each other and actively look at each other, Ray is freaked out, of course, by it. But Kylo has the education to be like, I need to be paying attention to what's going on. And I no, I know that this is a vision and this is something from the Force. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So the Force bond. A great thing. Oh, the, the best. <laughs> so we had the other day, um, like I, I think it was a galley. Either it was a galley or the book was released and I don't have the book um, of called The Secrets of the Jedi and it happened at New York Comic Con. And our friend Brad from Friends of the Force podcast, who's actually – a new member to our podcast network, so very happy to have him and his great podcast. Everyone should go check it out. Um, he included some screenshots or like photos from inside the book, and it was really interesting. And Keelan, could you read this quote that describes the Force Bond in that book? Yes. So this is from the book Secrets of the Jedi. I think you already said that. But the quote goes, 
On occasion, the forest allows us to connect with another living being and connect with them across great distances, seeing what they see and feeling what they feel. Though this may seem harmless and perhaps even invaluable ability, it's easily manipulated by those on the dark side. Some powerful force users have been known to create secret bonds with others who are unaware of their connection. They then use those bonds to corrupt and target and sear their actions. Even when the unwanted bond is detected, it can still be extremely difficult to break. If that is not the creepiest thing you've ever read in your life, (laughs) I don't know what is. There's so much to unpack here. (laughs) So the first thing I just wanted to say, and this thought occurred to me, and I just, I haven't really like thought about it this way before, but recently I was thinking about the force bond and how almost on this like meta level the force bond is the distillation and like almost like a microcosmic level of what the force is down to just two people Mm. like if you think about the way that the force has been described by obi-wan and qui-gon in each of those movies about like a symbiotic relationship what happens to one of you will surely affect the other and all these things i was like they're literally describing the force bond <laughs> and but also I think that the force is obviously like bigger than that duh but I think as a storytelling uh I don't know assist I think that the force bond is so interesting because it really does get to kind of the heart of what the horse is you know have you ever thought about it that way no I haven't I think that's a really good point because it just brings two people into direct contact with each other well in the best case scenario I suppose because this details that it can go horribly and creepily wrong but mm-hmm. yeah like with Ray and Kylo it's like there isn't anything else it's just the two of them feeding off of each other and feeding off of each other's energy in that moment And that can be for good or bad reasons, depending on your interpretation and on the moment within the films. But that's kind of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I just I think that it's only fitting that the saga kind of ends here because we started so big and also so microscopic before with the definition of midi-chlorians in The Phantom Menace that felt almost you know too finite to to describe the force but here we have you know a story that is focusing on two people and their own relationship with the force and therefore their relationship to each other Mm -hmm. and i think it's just so perfect in this idea of um symbionts that was brought up in the phantom menace that you know like like this quote says that um where is the where where is that yeah, the f- seeing what they see and feeling what they feel. It's literally what it, – it's partially what the Force is described as by Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting about this quote is obviously its implications for Ray and Kylo, um, specifically at the top end where it says seeing what they see and feeling what they feel. They haven't – Ray and Kylo haven't done that yet they've done feeling what they feel they haven't done seeing what they see (laughs) and i think that's super interesting for what that could mean for the rise of skywalker and the fact that the bonds are hard to break um it's what we've been saying the end of the last jedi is not is not a blocked collar it's just a hang up (laughs) 
Yeah. The thing that's so interesting is I was just reminded of what you said a couple episodes ago about the world between worlds and what Dave said about it, about how like Ezra had been accessing the world between worlds, but he hadn't. You you say it better than I did. What was that? (laughs) It's this. um, Dave basically talks about how they've been developing the world between worlds for a couple of seasons with Ezra. And you see Ezra like when he talks to Yoda or when he gets his, I think it starts with his kyber crystal that he gets in this like dark place. I don't remember the details exactly. And then when he talks to Yoda, he can see Yoda and they're together, but there's just like darkness around them. And then it elevates to the world between worlds. And the way Dave describes it is he's like, they like Ezra has already been here before. He just didn't know enough to know that that's where he was. Like the force had brought mm-hmm. him there already. He just didn't realize it. And he also discusses it about, you know, talking with Yoda. And he was like, yeah, he's talking with Yoda and Yoda knows where they are. And Yoda, it would have been interesting if you could have seen that scene from Yoda's perspective. Like what was Yoda seeing right. where they were? Because obviously Yoda has unlocked a lot more knowledge than Ezra had. Yeah, but even just thinking about that in terms of Rey and Kylo, and if you think about Ezra and how he is kind of unlocking all these points to get to where he needs to be in Rebels, where he is able to walk around the world between worlds and physically interact within it, right? Yeah. And I think that that is what Rey and Kylo are also leading to with their Force Bond. It's just getting stronger. And like you said, like we haven't gotten to that part of like see what they see. Mm-hmm. and. We definitely will. It makes me think of the art of cover and how that's going to play. Well, into you know, that's a lot. Whoa. They have gotten to see what they see because the, the hand touch moment. Like, what horrible Raylos are we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But but they saw two different visions. No, but like Kylo is very clearly in the HUD with Ray. So presume right. Do you remember Blanket Gate? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I just I completely <laughs> forgot about that until just this moment. <laughs> like <Yes>. new Raylos. <laughs> Let me explain to you, Blankengate. <laughs> so you know how Ray has the blanket, and everyone was like, "Who gave Ray the blanket? Was did Kylo give Ray the blanket? Like in another scene? This is back with like the movie was in the theaters. So, like we all Raylos had to go like back into the movie theater to see if there was a blanket in Kylo's like room to see <laughs> if there's like a possibility we that... weren't watching like bootleg clips also oh yeah yeah <laughs> like we went to the theater every time we had a question <laughs> sorry go on. we paid money <laughs> but the idea was that like did kylo give ray the blanket <laughs> and and that's what's really interesting is like could they have exchanged like physical they have things exchanged over goods. <laughs> <laughs> they have exchanged goods and services. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because then you think about the water droplet, which is just so interesting <laughs> on so many levels. But that existed from, like, on like a serious note, that existed from Ray's own plane of being, and then Kylo experienced it. So, what was even happening there? What's interesting is that it's it's Ray pulling Kylo into her world rather than the other way around. Um, but I don't think it's like fully unlocked. Like I think that was something that moment with the hand touch, they were in perfect alignment about their feelings, what they wanted from that moment. Like the stars literally aligned. And so they were brought together. And I just I wonder what it means that they were brought to Ray rather than to Kylo. Mm. Um, I think that was a really interesting choice. Um, obviously you have Luke who is with 
Ray. So you're setting up that tension with Luke and Kylo. Um, obviously, like from a story perspective, it makes sense why they went to Octo. But I think it's also interesting to think about why it was Ray pulling him in and not the other way around, because I think that sends a very different message rather than Kylo being brought into the warmth of the fire and like rising from the ashes. Like all of those kind of images are coming from Octo and from Ray. And she's the one who's giving him that opportunity to reach out. And as he does, she pulls him in and in a way like offers a chance for forgiveness too, or at least of compassion and understanding from her point of view. Um, I just think it's really interesting. And I, I think, I totally think that this is where, Rise of Skywalker is going to go in a very similar kind of development like we see with Ezra and the World Between Worlds. But because they have already had moments of this seeing what they see, I wonder how it's just going to be elevated in the Rise of Skywalker and if it's something they can turn on themselves, if they can immediately transport to each other's places. Because Dave also says this interesting thing when he's talking about Yoda and Ezra in the World Between Worlds. He's like, you know, they're talking to each other physically, but neither one of them are actually very far from, like Yoda's not far from Dagobah and Ezra's still on, you know, the ghost or wherever he is at that point. And he's like, but it doesn't matter where they physically are. It's where they believe they are. Mm. And so I wonder how that is going to play with Rey and Kylo because I I really do think it will. Um, It doesn't matter where they are. It's where they believe they are. And that's what matters. I really do think that's going to be something in the rise of Skywalker for them. I just got like major Raylo feels thinking about the feeling what they feel line in this and -hmm. just like the whole hut and Ray can like talking all about how she never felt so alone. And I was like, wow, they feel each other so much. They don't even have to feel what what they feel because they already feel what they feel. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the like gross part about it all because yeah. um the whole idea of like it can be easily manipulated by the dark side. We already saw it be manipulated by Snoke. If that's true, I think that this confirms that that's potentially true, but I've always kind of had my doubts about that because I really do think that the force bond was initiated in the interrogation scene or even before that when Ray touched the lightsaber to be honest. So I think it was, but I still think that Snow I don't think Snoke was lying. I think Yeah, yeah. He, I think both are true. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people like to be like, no, it was the interrogation scene or no, it was Snoke, but I think they're both true because I wouldn't say that Kylo and, and Ray's minds were bridged in the Force Awakens. The Curie Hard described it as a door open between them, but then Snoke describes it as I bridged your minds. So I would venture to say that Snoke actually did bridge their minds, but the door was already open. Um, right. I don't think Snoke would have been able to open the door because Ray was not someone he could manipulate, um, and he didn't know about her either. Uh, whereas Kylo, I think. Ugh is someone he has manipulated quite a lot and or Palpatine like good lord well, that's the bigger question right they use these bonds to corrupt and target and steer their actions it's like okay so we know that the bond is going to exist in the rise of skywalker and we now snoke is dead but has the bond actually just been manipulated fully by Palpatine this entire time i wouldn't be surprised yeah right like it's it's 
What's good about the force bond is that Ray and Kylo are both have both free will. So we so know far. that they will yeah, so far. They will rise above Palpatine if he is the one manipulating their bond. But I I don't know. I can't not think about and we've talked about this many times on the show, but I cannot not think about Anakin and Padme when it comes to this and I think that it's been a while since we've like talked about the Padme rumination scene in Revenge of the Sith and how so that good. feels. It's so good, but it, and it feels like the closest thing we have to a force bond in um in Revenge of the Sith and the prequels. And it's interesting because as someone who's read a lot of Anakin and Padme fan fiction, I think a way that writers used to you know, explore Anakin's ability with the Force while also figuring out how to talk about the relationship with Padme um, in a way that, like, still brought in the fact that Anakin could use the Force was an idea of a Force bond, that, like, Anakin could feel Padme, that Padme could feel him. And I think it was also brought up even in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, if I'm correct. I can't remember now. I didn't if think I'm just read it yet, up. so. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You really should I can't, read it. I just, I just can't remember if I'm making that up or if it's like a headcanon from that art that when Padme goes to see Yoda and she's pregnant and she's like asking for help because of like the force inside of her. Um, and regardless, I think this is an idea that was kind of explored, but it wasn't as explored as Rey and Kylo, obviously. But I do think that it's fascinating if you can like go with me on this idea that Anakin and Padme did have their own force bond. Yes, it was different than Rey and Kylo who were like balancing the force themselves. Um, and that Palpatine somehow manipulated that bond. And I think that that's so fascinating because you can think about Palpatine using those bonds to corrupt and target and steer actions. And even when the unwanted bond is detected, it can still be extremely difficult to break. I think that Anakin still has this extreme bond with Padme. We see that being even explored in Vader Immortal and everything that we get with Vader these days is him just never being able to let go. But like, what if he's unable to let go because he was physically in like force bonded with her? And I'm going on a tangent here, but I do think that it is interesting to consider, especially with the parallels between Rey and Kylo and any sort of like reverse Anidala that you believe in or theorize about, that potentially those two also had a force bond and that Palpatine somehow manipulated it through dreams, through actions, through anything. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what that entails because I definitely think Obviously, Palpatine is heavily manipulating Anakin and his visions and his dreams throughout the second trilogy. But with Rey and Kylo, I, I, like you said, how much is he manipulating that bond between them? Is he actually doing that? Because I still hold that like Rey is the piece that none of them anticipated. Like I think they all mm -hmm. were banking on Luke to be this darkness rises and light to meet it and snoke says you know i thought it was skywalker and i was hella wrong <laughs> it's mm -hmm. you <laughs> um so i think that palpatine that ray was unexpected for palpatine too so how much has he manipulated it i don't think he has yet i think he will be manipulating it because i think that for ray and kylo like in my personal headcanon right now they have continued this force bond throughout you know, the year, however long it's been between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. But again, like, Rey hasn't really told anyone exactly 
what happened. And so I think in a way, like their force bond becomes like this safe space for the both of them, even if they're not necessarily talking to each other or on good terms with each other during this time. It's like they still know that the other cares for them and that they still understand each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I wonder what would happen if Palpatine then manipulates that safe space between them, like that forced bond, so that it is no longer a safe space. And then they uh, – like either they know that he's there or they – or Palpatine uses like Dark Ray against Kylo. Like if that's where that manipulation comes in. I don't know. I'm very interested, obviously. <laughs> I don't know if you guys no, really? know this. I didn't know. <laughs> but <laughs> – Number one, the Revenge of the Sith novelization is great. And number two, I'm very interested in what is going to happen in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, which comes out in two months. Um, it's fine. It's all fine. Okay, fine. Charlotte did that thing that she always does a couple of days ago where she had a panic attack in our text messages about just how close the movie was. Did you realize it was two months away, And I had to text Caitlin? her and I was like, I swear to God, Charlotte, if you give me a countdown with how many more episodes of Sky Talkers we have left before the rise of Skywalker comes out, I will delete you from my phone. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't have that pressure. And I knew that you were just like, I knew that the bubbles the typing bubbles for you being like, we have six episodes left. Well, you can do the math yourself on that one. God, I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) So stressful. So great. Anyway, I'm (laughs) in what is going to happen. Me too. It's our great is all about. Uh, (laughs) But Mm. yeah, I I don't know. I think I'm always reminded of like my favorite fan fiction, which is my wildest wind come blow into my room. And it's it's actually a multi-series now. But when I first read it, it was just a series of vignettes of Ray and Kylo talking to each other in their force bond. And it took place like right after The Last Jedi. And the fan fiction was basically like them having these really difficult conversations about the choices and the conversations that they had in The Last Jedi and both of them being like, why did you do that? Like, we were supposed to do this together and you messed it up. But they're talking to each other. But even as they're having these like really hard conversations, like that force bond also becomes like a place of comfort for them too. And like the moment when they're not Supreme Leader and like the Jedi warrior, you know. Um, so I kind of, I love that fic so much and I think it does such a good job handling the emotions of the characters and like their anger at one another and also like the things that they need to talk about, but it also amplify or, um, emphasizes just how much they still mean to each other. And I kind of think that the force bond is going to represent that, especially when it gets taken to the next level of, like where they may or may not actually be physically and if they are in a world between worlds type of place. I don't know. So good. I don't know. <laughs> but I think I don't know either. I think but. I think our big takeaway from this is that the bond cannot be broken. <laughs> yeah. It can't be broken. It goes on and on. Okay. okay. So are we ready to move on to part two? Yes. <laughs> So welcome to part two, where we're going to be talking about Force users. And first, I thought that we should start with the Jedi. Um, I don't think Caitlin and I have, like, a ton to say that we haven't really said about, like, the Jedi themselves, except for I just am still, like, eternally confused about what's the future of the Jedi, in my opinion. Like, I have no idea 
what comes next because I think the Jedi that we we saw in the prequels were ultimately flawed. The Jedi that we saw in the original trilogy was singular. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it was two. Yoda's still a Jedi. Um and I think that the Jedi that we see, we haven't seen him really. We only saw, I guess we saw Luke and Luke had rejected basically the idea of the Jedi. So I just am kind of don't really know what the future of the Jedi looks like. And I hope that they do something really innovative and in a way very different from what we've ever seen. Um, but regardless, I thought it would be good to read the Jedi code, um, which I think comes up a lot and i think that like a lot of people like randomly know this jedi code and i think it's because it was featured in marketing a lot um in the prequels but i think that it's while the jedi when they said the code in the prequels were pretty flawed i think the jedi code is pretty is it, it works as a guide to understanding how the jedi i mean obviously it's the code use the force and th- think about the force and i think it is kind of uh important even beyond the prequel jedi time so here it is there is no emotion there is peace there is no ignorance there is knowledge there is no passion there is serenity there is no chaos there is harmony there is no death there is the force the thing that i find interesting about the jedi code and i liked how you said that it was something that they kind of it's how they think about the force it really makes me wonder when exactly the jedi code was written because this is very different right. than the man- mantra mantra that Kastana talks about in Dooku Jedi Lost that they say with Sifo-Dyas. And it's like darkness, light, mm-hmm. something. Oh, I, I can pull it up. Yeah, I recently it retweeted it from our friend Shannon. Yes. We call upon the three, light, dark, and the balance true. One is no greater than the others. Together they unite, restore, center, and renew. We walk into the light, acknowledge the dark, and find balance in ourselves for the force is strong. Yeah, see, that is a very different message than the Jedi Code, I think. Mm-hmm. The the one where it's like there is no chaos, there is harmony. Like this, the Jedi Code, I understand it. I understand why the Jedi have it. But I'm also like that world doesn't exist. and that world can't exist like the jedi are supposed to be the peacekeepers because there is chaos in the world and there is ignorance and there is emotion and there is death and you know passion and things like that like all those things are already there whereas the jedi the the mantra that you just read from that feels more holistic to me it's like yes all of those bad things are here but we take those with us and Mm -hmm. we we don't give in to them but we have to acknowledge them. Whereas this doesn't do that, I don't think. Not in the same way, anyway. What's also kind of interesting is that I think about Obi-Wan's line in Revenge of the Sith where he says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole code is kind of an absolute, right? Like, is it not? You know, there's there's no blank. There is blank. There is it denies no tr- something. There's no try. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Yeah, that the like the this only the Sith deal in absolutes and the Jedi just want this neutrality in life. And 
they're chasing after this thing that doesn't exist and shouldn't exist because that neutrality is not balance. Yeah, that's what I think. That's a really good word that um, I think you just perfectly summed it up. It's different. Thank you. I feel like that actually does like that makes we talk about the balance of the force a lot and like what is it um but this I feel like actually helps put it into a new kind of perspective like the Jedi are going after this kind of blank canvas of emotion I I don't really know like I don't want to say personality because obviously all of the Jedi that we see have personalities but this like perfect idealistic Jedi that they describe in the Jedi code is neutral, is not even mm-hmm. leaning. I guess like harmony, serenity, knowledge, and peace are good. But is it good if there's not the bad to tell you that it's good? <laughs> right. I don't know. Whereas, like I said, the the one that Kastana cites, which is something that the Jedi apparently said every day, like a prayer that feels more like what balance is than this which okay i don't think we've actually talked about this on the show um at did we talk about this at um dragon con i asked claudia gray about for the force (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i don't think we've talked about this and my question was basically like in master and apprentice uh qui-gon and uh rail have this conversation about balance like what the balance is and they don't really come to any conclusions like how are you how do you think about balance of the force was basically my question and claudia like basically did not answer (laughs) yeah and she was like well I, i read a lot of i think she said I'm looking at my notes because we yes but she said something that I still we haven't figured out what she said she said she read a lot of Tao Chiang Mai and then I was I I like she said it so fast that I tried to write it down I didn't record it and I really regret it and yeah yeah but there's that (laughs) thank you um but I screwed up. So <laughs> I know I wasn't gonna ask a question. Charles was like, "Go ask a question," because I showed her my question, and I was. She was like, "That's a good question." And I was like, "Great." So I get up and I come back. I'm like, "Did you get that?" And she was like, "Did I get what?" And I was like, "The answer." <laughs> Fail. <laughs> she was like, "No." <laughs> and we're sitting in the back of the panel, like, "What did you say?" Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) she basically didn't answer the question. But what she did say is that she and Kevin, because they were obviously writing these things at the same time, they together talked a lot about the balance of the force. And she was like, we did talk a lot about it. And it's a difficult subject, but it was something that I thought a lot about. And that was kind of what she said. (laughs) I feel like that's all she could say. Yeah. And I was like, great. So like, what is it? <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that I don't think we've really brought up before. Right. Um Okay. Can we move on to Guardians of the Wills? Yes. Let's because do I it. actually I mean, unless there's something else about the Jedi that we haven't touched on, but like you said, I do feel like we talk about the Jedi a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the Guardians of the Wills. I there's so much I don't know about the Guardians of the Wells, <laughs> and I think there just hasn't been a lot that's been 
written about them, obviously. But I'm sure as a lot of you know, the Guardians of the Wilds were originally the Jedi in like early versions of George Lucas's script for Star Wars and stuff like that, and eventually got changed to the Jedi, but they found their way back into Rogue One and into canon, and they're called the Protectors of the Temple of Kyber. Um, and I think the Guardians of the Wilds were great because as we had seen in animation, because you should always look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. Um, there are other users of the Force. And I think it was so great in Rogue One to get to know some of these characters better who were involved with the Force, who were Force users, but not Jedi. Because even before that, like when Rogue One came out, we didn't even have Luke's line yet of like, to think that the Force belongs to the Jedi and the Sith is ignorance. Um we didn't have that yeah. yet, but that had started to be, to be explored in animation and then also in Rogue One with the Guardians of the Wells. And Well, I think Rogue One did such a good job, I don't mean to interrupt you, no, of, of talking about with Baze and Chirrut, You, I didn't really notice it in my first watch, but I think with subsequent watches, Chirrut is the one that really fully believes in the Force. Mm-hmm. and um. I don't think he is actually force sensitive, but he is a believer. And I think that there was this really interesting, like, we've never really seen that in Star Wars before about like someone who is a believer in something but didn't possess something, mm-hmm. you know, um, like a power. And um, I think that in like new Disney Star Wars, I think they've done a really good job of balancing this. Uh, even Luke says now that I'm just saying that it's, it's not a power people have, you know, just in reference to our other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the force is part of us and it affects every living person. So and living being and everything in between you and the rock and the earth and that great scene in The Last Jedi. But regardless, I think that bringing in the Guardians of the Wells is just something, like you said, that is just really fascinating because you have Chirrut, who's a firm, firm believer, and then Baze, who is the the stickler, really. Um, he used to be a, a staunch believer, but then he kind of fell. But in the very at the very end, when Chirrut is dying in his arms, he, you know, recites essentially a prayer um, and kind of um, brings back and, like, reclaims this belief in what honestly amounts to more of hope rather than like the belief in the force in my Mm -hmm. opinion does that make sense like i think that in that ending it was more like a positive prayer a positive send-off than i mean i guess that kind of goes hand in hand with like the the force will like guide him after death and everything yeah i i think that's an interesting point about whether or not they like what capabilities they have with the force like what's their barometer on how much force they can control um compared to like other to like a jedi or something like that because you look at a character like chura who is blind but is able to do yeah but is able to see and obviously he's had to learn that while being blind like like anyone else who is blind but but when you i think like a lot of people compare him to kanan who and a lot of kanan's development with his own blindness was through the force itself and tapping into the force in that way so i wonder if chura is doing the same thing to what degree or to what degree is it just him trusting in the force too and thereby he uses it i don't i don't really know um 
But I think it was good how you brought up how it really was kind of almost like a religious rite because even the way that they talk about the Temple of Khyber, um, like they call it the holy city on Jeddah and you have these guardians and like they're almost like priests who protect the Khyber. But I don't, I'm thinking about that. It's like Chura is able to recognize the Khyber around Jin's neck. So he must have like mm-hmm. sensed it. Yeah, it is. It's – I hesitate to say he – he didn't have the force, but he did. He does because every it, it lives yeah. within all of us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, remember how we used to talk about like Anakin and Kylo with like the barometer of dark side? Yeah, it's um, almost similar here. Even though I don't think that that's the way that you're actually supposed to think about it, as like the it introduced in the Phantom Menace with midi chlorians. Like the point was that that was like a kind of a dogmatic system of like scaling things. Like, I don't think that you should do that. I think rather than, like, a scale of how much force they have, it's more like a mini-chlorine count. It's more like a barometer of how much they're tapping into it, Mm -hmm. how much they're able to utilize the force that is already within them, how much they're able to control the force that is already within them. Right. Perhaps. But that's super convoluted. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a barometer. You guys know what I mean. (laughs) Um, There has been some new stuff with Galaxy's Edge that has come out about the Temple of Kyber and the Guardian of the Wills, which I read this. I think it was it was a comic and I read this synopsis and I was appalled (laughs) at how (laughs) crazy it was. Um, Have you read it? No. Oh, my God. Like, not the comic. Did you read the summary? No. Okay. It is insane. These are going to be spoilers for a Galaxy's Edge comic, which, like, is that really considered a big spoiler? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) For a theme park. Anyway, skip ahead if you want. So, apparently, Hondo and Doc Ondar, you know, from Galaxy's Edge, they go to the Temple of Kyber to collect these artifacts. And apparently, there are all these statues (laughs) I swear to God, more statues underneath the Temple of Kyber that are made out of Kyber. And there's like one of a Jedi that is made out of Kyber. And it was set and it's like the Jedi battling a snake. And apparently it was carved by a Jedi with his lightsaber. And basically, Chirrut, Doc Ondar, and Hondo have this all-out brawl over these statues down there. And eventually, Doc Ondar convinces Chirrut to give him one of the statues because he's like, there are 2,000 statues down here. I just want one. (laughs) And Chirrut was like, okay. (laughs) And lets him take this like ancient statue that was carved out of Kyber or something. And, And I don't, this just seemed like so crazy to me that like Hondo and Doc Ondar had this fight with Chirrut and then basically negotiated to take one of the statues <laughs> from the temple of Kyber. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just very interesting to me. And I was like, this is one of those crazy things that you just think is from like legend. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's canon. Mm-hmm. And I just like I don't know. Doc Ondar like doesn't move in Galaxy's Edge, so it's like hard to think about him like in a fight. Oh, he moves, Kayla. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> if you guys don't know, when we, Kayla and I were in Galaxy's Edge, we were investigating Doc Ondar, and he, <laughs> and while holding blue and green milk. <laughs> 
All right, we're standing like right by his little setup, like his cage. Like we're looking up (laughs) into the gnarly mouth of Doc Ondar. And all of a sudden he makes a pretty violent jerking (laughs) move. (laughs) Where he like spins all the way around. (laughs) And I was so surprised. I spilled the blue and green milk all over Caitlin. Like, she jumped and her cum, like, flew up in the air. And she (laughs) comes back down to the ground. And she looks over at me and I'm just dripping in blue milk. It's fine. I was so shell-shocked. I was like, which is... I can't believe you just mentioned that Doc Ondar didn't move when he very much moved. Very clearly moved. It was like a very aggressive swivel in his chair. And like towards us too. Like it wasn't like away from us. It was like we were looking at his profile, then suddenly like he was looking in our eyes. It was so much. It was so aggressive. I blew milk all over me. Um regardless. But you know what I mean? Like, he's an old man is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, the idea of him just trekking down to the Temple of Kyber, getting in somehow, attempting to steal a whole statue, (laughs) and then having to beat Chirrut, and then him and Chirrut coming to an understanding that, like, sure, you can take this artifact. (laughs) It's interesting just to kind of pivot a little bit because I agree like that's a weird story but I think that something that kind of wasn't really I don't, I don't know if I, I've seen it brought up but in Rogue One there are essentially two force temples in that you know it introduces the uh, the empire destroying and like pilfering the the temple of Kyber on Jeddah but then you also have uh, Fortress Vader that we've now explored so much in Vader Immortal and just like in further canon and the Vader comics and everything that it is like a fortress that underneath has Kyber and crazy stuff like the bright star. And Mm -hmm. you have, you have like the dark side of the force and these, this idea of like the temples was kind of introduced around the same time, which is just also kind of interesting because obviously this was kind of like being floated around story group and everything all at the same time with rebels and the, the temple that uh, Ezra eventually goes through the world between worlds in and the idea of kind of stealing artifacts and the kind of Indiana Jones of it all. But also the like cultural erasing and some that was something I brought up in our Lost Stars discussion. But um, I I think it's it was a um it was quite the move for them in Rogue One to establish like that there was a temple f- of not even just Force users but Force worshippers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it does take on a much more religious feel, uh, mm-hmm. which even like May the Force be with you is very much. Like feels very Catholic. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And also with you <laughs> or in your spirit. Yeah. The the and then there's the the line, you know, may the force of others be with you, which I've honestly like I just it makes it kind of gives me the heebie jeebies. I don't really like that line, but I know that that was originally George's whole thing before it moved into the force. But and I think that we can we can think about that line, may the force of others be with you and relate it back to that symbiotic relationship that I was talking about a little bit before about how when uh, whatever you do affects the other and how 
um, the force of others, like all karma. It's like kind of so karma-y, you know? I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> There's Rogue One changed a lot. It really did. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot going on in Rogue One. Yeah. Okay, I think we should talk about the Bendu. Yes, but real fast, um, I remembered I read this when we were talking, when we were doing some research on the Force and stuff. I read these kind of funny, uh, like, reviews of Star Wars back in the 70s that talked about the Force. <laughs> and I thought they were kind of funny. And this one is from the New York Magazine from 1977 by an author called John Simon. And he writes, and then there is that distressing thing called the Force. <laughs> distressing. <laughs> Which is dot, dot, dot. Lucas's tribute to something beyond science, imagination, the soul, God, and man, dot, dot, dot. It appears in various contradictory and finally nonsensical guises, <laughs> a facile <laughs> and perfunctory bow to metaphysics. I wish that Lucas had the courage of his materialistic convictions, instead dragging in a sop to a spiritual force, the main thrust of the movie so cheerfully ignores <laughs> honestly all those things that he described it's like yep that's what it is yes yes yep. yes yep yep yeah i agreed i just thought that was funny it was like like i was like i don't really get it and it's dumb <laughs> that's hilarious um okay but yes all right so let's move on to the bend down and the Bendu is one of my favorite things that has ever come out of Rebels, and I feel like we've never really talked about the Bendu on the show, and I love, love the Bendu. <laughs> it's so interesting because I'm still kind of reconciling my own feelings about Bendu. Like, I don't really know how I feel. I think that's how the Bendu wants you to feel, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's working. <laughs> and I, you've been like a, a huge fan of the Bendu since the first time he appeared on screen. Mm -hmm. And why don't you talk a little bit about the Bendu, Caitlin? The Bendu is fantastic. So the Bendu lives on a Talia Adelon. Adelon, I think is what it's called. Uh, he's introduced in season three of Rebels. And uh, the first person to meet him is Kanan after he goes blind. And the Bendu is like this giant rock creature that basically blends into the landscape on the planet. And Dave described the Bendu. It's really funny. I was watching this Rebels recon and all the other creators are like having these like really nice things to say about the Bendu. And Dave is like... At his core, I think the Bendu just wants to sleep <laughs> and everyone <laughs> just keeps waking him up. And I think that's a big problem for him. Um, anyway, but the Bendu is supposed to represent the something in between. He calls himself neither light or dark, but I'm not. He says, I am the light. I am the dark. I am the end, which is very interesting, I think. Um, and he knows everything. But he doesn't really give any of that knowledge to anyone. Um, he So he helps. He likes Kanan. He helps Kanan learn how to use the Force to see. Um, and he helps them kind of. Or rather, he's just a witness to Maul and Ezra talking about the holocrons. He knows what the holocrons are. He knows about the Sith. He knows everything that's kind of gone on in the galaxy but he doesn't really have an opinion 
on them. Like, he doesn't talk about the Sith as if they're evil. He just says that, like, bringing the holocrons together is dangerous. Um, But he doesn't say it's dangerous Mm -hmm. because of the Sith or because of the Jedi or, like, Ezra and Kanan. It's dangerous to bring that knowledge together. I just think he's such an interesting character. And, like, when the when Thrawn comes to attack Adalon and the rebel base there, the Bendu Kanan goes to the Bendu and basically asks him for help. And the Bendu is like, I'm not gonna help you. <laughs> and Kanan gets really mad. He's like, No, but like we're the good guys. And the Bendu basically tells him that it doesn't matter to him and he isn't gonna help him. Uh but basically the Bendu just becomes this storm and gets really angry and he gets everyone off of Adalon, including the rebel bases. He attacks the rebels just like he attacks the Empire, the Imperial forces. And I don't know, he just, he's so interesting. (laughs) And he has this creepy laugh too that, I don't know, I just, I really enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) It feels very, it feels very Lord of the Rings, but it also feels, it just feels very fantastical. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. This is a super specific reference, but there's this version of um, A Christmas Carol my family watches every year that's the musical Scrooge with Albert Finney and Alec Guinness, actually, from, I think, 1976 or 78, maybe 70, I don't know, whatever, in the 70s. And um, Bendu, every time I hear him, he reminds me of the Ghost of Christmas Present, which I think is, like, a pretty good... I don't know. I think that it's a it's a good comparison just because the ghost of Christmas present only shows like what is and um it it doesn't necessarily offer an opinion. Yeah. And I think that the ghost of Christmas present also and specifically in this one um sounds just like the Bendu but also it's like he's slightly larger than life. He is like a like abundant he withholds information um it's just interesting i just think that to me something that i i get really hung up on is in all the talk about the balance and everything that is what is the balance bendu sometimes comes up in the conversation and i'm not just not sure if bendu actually represents the balance but i think he is part of it yeah exactly because the way that bendu like in the first the first time that Kanan brings Ezra to meet the Bendu, which one of the things I love about the Bendu is, one, I love how he is called the Bendu, um, not just Bendu. Like, everyone talks about him as the Bendu. And are there others? Is there, like, a, a, a wife Bendu? Children Bendu? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the first time that Kanan brings Ezra to meet the Bendu is when they're asking for help on how to get the holocron back from Maul. And... The Bendu is like, who is, who's Maul? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, he was a Sith. And, you know, the Bendu is like, oh, well, I know the Sith, but I don't, I don't know Maul. And so I always think about like, is the Bendu aware of the Mortis gods? That's kind of the question I've been thinking about lately. Is Does he know the Mortis gods? Is he a part of that? I think that you're one of the things I love about him is his design for one thing. I think that his design is like so incredible and like you said, fantastical and imaginative. And it reminds me a lot of our discussions about the development of Yoda and how Yoda was originally or in one draft was supposed to be this like giant basically mm-hmm. and the kind of impact that that would have had on Luke at the time. But then it's funny because you think about that with Kanan, but Kanan was blind when he met the Bendu. So he doesn't really get that impact of size. And so you really only get that with 
Ezra when Ezra sees him and Ezra is just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I liked how you were talking about like the similarity with the ghost of Christmas present who's neither, who's just like kind of there. And Dave, after he talked about, you know, the Bendu wanting to sleep, he does say this like nice quote about what the Bendu is. And he said, Bendu has a long range of emotions and has been around a long time, but he has that bigger perspective and you need a character like him that isn't necessarily concerned with our character's choices, but he does push them in the right direction, even Thrawn, which I thought was a great way to look at it because you're like, because you're right. I don't think Bendu does represent balance. And then Carrie Beck describes him. She says that the Bendu doesn't represent a point of view from light or dark. He just exists. So does that mean he is balanced? I don't know. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's balanced because I feel like at least from like the the thing that we read before from Jedi Dooku from Dooku Jedi Lost, like <laughs> that is this like acknowledgement and use of both the light and the dark sides of the force. But it doesn't even seem like the Bendu ever taps into those. Like the the things that the Bendu does throughout Rebels, I don't think you could classify them as like that is a light side action that he does in this scene and that is a dark side action that he does. Um, I don't think you can really classify him that way. And I think that's what makes him so confusing and for me anyway, so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that that quote that you read before that Dave said ultimately the Bendu's goal is to sleep reminds me of a quote from Master and Apprentice where there's all these prophecies in Master and Apprentice, which is a great book by Claudia Gray if you haven't read it. But And this won't spoil anything, but there's a bunch of prophecies in that book that can be kind of dissected and apply to different parts of Star Wars and some that just keep, leave you scratching your heads. And this is one of those ones that is just kind of like particularly strange. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. I actually haven't really thought about this quote in a long time since we read it, but it kind of does remind me a little bit of the Kintsugi helmet as like cracked. Mm, Yeah. But whatever. Um, I, I think that when you think about Bendu and how he just wanted to sleep and how he was awoken by Kanan and Ezra and how the destruction that that caused, you know, he's, if, if Bendu is the one that sleeps in an egg and the danger is not passed and when the egg cracks and, you know, the egg being um, the Bendu, which when he does come alive, it is, he's part of the planet. And then all of a sudden he is not part of the planet. Right. Well, we don't know. I just think it's really interesting. Like, that is what happens. Like, when he is awoken, the galaxy was threatened entirely. Like, the, the rebels were caught up in, in Bendu's, like, storm, and the Empire was caught up in the storm. And um, Bendu told those chilling words to Thrawn, which are, you know, the, the last words that Bendu says in the series um, so far. I mean, I don't know. That he says that, what is it? The cold embrace of death by a, a, like a, lot of a arms, thousand hands. Yeah. A lot of arms. A lot of arms, yeah. Yeah, I remember everyone theorizing about that and the fact that it was the Purgles. It's just unreal. Again, Dave Filoni. You I call just, them filler. I call them important. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's mm. brilliant. But I, I just think that um, th- that prophecy could probably refer to Bendu here. 
Yeah, I think it could. I think that's really interesting. One of the other things that I think is interesting to bring up with the conversation on Bendu is uh, our cover photo for this episode is one of my favorite Dave Filoni sketches. It was actually my phone background for a really long time uh, was this sketch that he did of the Bendu and Ahsoka. But with that, do you remember this? There was the tweet where he was like, here's a deleted scene <laughs> or like something that yeah. <laughs> like a, a piece of script that never made it past like storyboarding or something like that. Uh, basically, when Ahsoka met the Bendu just before uh, they go to Malachor. And Dave says, of their conversation, you might find this dialogue to be the most interesting, which I find interesting because it implies that there's more conversation that he had written that he did not share. Um, So the Bendu says, (laughs) you are set on this confrontation then? And Ahsoka says, I have to know the truth. And the Bendu says, so be it. But understand this. Much will change as a result of this encounter, including you. Ahsoka says, Isn't that true of all things as time advances? And the Bendu says, my dear, when I say change, I mean death. And Ahsoka says, so I will die? And the Bendu says, will you? I didn't know that. Goodbye then, Ahsoka Tano, former Jedi Knight. I just, I I have no idea what it means. (laughs) (laughs) I remember reading that like over and over again. And you know what? You know what the Bendu, the Bendu is very much like the Mad Hatter. Um, mm, like that kind sure. of, but that kind of vibe of like, oh, is that what's going to happen to you? Okay. <laughs> like that kind of like his cadence, I suppose. Maybe not his personality, but I do think that the Bendu does have this kind of weird playful vibe to him. That's, or, or, um, not the Mad Hatter, almost like the Cheshire Cat. Like he's kind of smiley, but he's also a little creepy and he just kind of disappears when he wants to. And you don't see him Mm -hmm. until he wants you to see him. Uh, And I don't know. I just like that exchange and and what you're talking about with the like cracking of the egg and and what he does know. And does he represent balance? And is he like pushing our characters in the right direction? But he's pushing all of them in the right direction. So is he pushing Thrawn toward winning or is he pushing Thrawn in the right direction of him losing because we see him as a bad person? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I mean, it's it's so fascinating to go back and read this quote, though, after A World Between Worlds when Ahsoka is essentially saved from that confrontation that they're referring to. Yeah, yeah. And it's intentionally confusing, like you just said, because what happens there is also intentionally confusing. Does she die? Yes, but no. Mm-hmm. And does do things change? Yes, but also no, because that's how the force willed them to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it going back and reading this, I have clarity that I never had before going back and reading this. Oh, well, that's great. It's still confusing. Yeah, AF, you got clear- but good. <laughs> some clarity, like I some I, I remember when that came out, and we were all like, "What?" what? <laughs> yeah, what? I think it's yeah. it, it's worth reiterating that this scene never actually happened, so it's not technically canon. I, I don't think anyway. Uh, it happened in Dave's it mind. Happened- it's canon. <laughs> um, it's something. There was some version of it on a script at some point. So. You know, as far as the timeline is concerned, I don't think it actually happened unless we see it in Clone Wars season seven. <laughs> I mean, it could. I've happen. actually Who said knows? that I, I that really, really want really Anakin to meet the Bendu. Like, just imagine a conversation between Anakin and the Bendu. I think it would be 
really great. Uh, very confusing. I think it'd be very really confusing. confusing. I actually think that I think there's a situation where Anakin could actually get along quite well with the Bendu, and then Obi Wan <laughs> would be like, "What the heck is going on?" Like he's talking in riddles. Anakin's like, "No, I told- yeah, you can't negotiate." Yeah, with you him. can't negotiate. Like <laughs> the only one who can out negotiate Obi Wan is the Bendu. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, Obi-Wan's like, so you're going to tell us what to do? And the Bender will be like, did I? And Obi-Wan will be like, but you did. And he goes, didn't I? <laughs> and then he just disappears. And Obi-Wan's like, where'd it go? <laughs> Anakin's already gone. He's like, I know what we got to do. He said it's clear as day. How'd you miss it? <laughs> Obi-Wan will be like, what are you talking about? Where'd you go? <laughs> So great. Really good. <laughs> anyway, I really like the Bendu. Um, I hope that he's one of those characters where I'm like, I'm satisfied with what we have of him, but I would always like to see him again. But he's not someone that I necessarily think would need to come back in canon. You know, like World Between Worlds and like the Mortis gods, I'm like, those need like we need to know more about that. But the Bendu, I think, exists really yeah. well as just this like bloop, this like character who uses the force, is the force, comes from the force, but doesn't prescribe to light or dark. Like, I think he, I think you always say, you know, like, what's his function in this story? And I think his function was to be super unclear. And I think he performed that function really well. Um, So I (laughs) I definitely don't think he's someone that we would ever need to see again. But I would really enjoy it. Well, I think it to his function in the story, he presented an interesting alternative to what we were going to experience with Ezra and Maul, which was one of our first times that we've ever seen something that was like the shared vision and the exchange in a vision. We've talked about this before, and this was kind of like what convinced Caitlin and I on the shared vision theory before The Last Jedi. Um, But I think that in a way, what was happening with Ezra and Maul was some form of balancing and um Bendu presented an option that perhaps that balancing wasn't I don't know if healthy is the right word but I I think that there was a lot of questions that were raised due to the Bendu that wouldn't have been raised without him yes the it's confusing it is confusing because like the way that even the Bendu talks about it is very contradictory and of course, like that that whole storyline of Maul and Ezra using the Jedi and Sith holocrons to bring them together to have this vision. And the Bendu was like, that's not a great idea. And mm-hmm. Ezra was like, well, why? And he's like, I thought it was I thought it was just a library. <laughs> I thought you just like <laughs> get like a lot of information. And the Bendu's like, okay. Yes, <laughs> but he said, <laughs> what he says is that it creates a clarity of vision, which at first you're like, oh, that sounds good. And that sounds just like what Ray and Kylo need. Uh, but if they're brought together, any secrets, wisdom or destiny can be seen through the force and one can bring much chaos with these hidden truths. And then the Bendu also says, I've seen it happen before, which is also kind of crazy. Um, but. What I think is also cool about that whole thing, and I'm excited to go back and rewatch Rebels once it comes on to Disney Plus. But when Maul confronts Ezra after they've had their incomplete vision, Maul basically says that he saw what Ezra needed to see 
and Ezra saw what Maul needed to see in their visions, which is just like oddly enough the most Raylo thing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> Maul is basically like, I saw what you need. So like let me give that to you. And like you saw what I need. So give that to me. And then I mean like they saw into e- each other, which is just what Ran Kylo do. They see each other's past and future. <laughs> Kylo mm-hmm. sees her past. Ray sees his future. It's what we call balance. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I just like I remember when we first talked about the the shared vision theory with 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 Ezra and Maul, and it's such like a weird parallel because like obviously we don't ship <laughs> Ezra and Maul, <laughs> but mm-hmm. like. I don't know, just having that, like, experience with them and how they talk through that whole situation compared to what Ray and Kylo are doing, like, a bit more organically, whereas they're kind of forcing it and the Bendu knows that that's not, that that's not good. Right. Yeah, I think that might be the difference. The forcing. The forcing? Yeah, the forcing. I mean, I hate that, that pun, but, like, the... (laughs) The um, inorganic nature of them forming that bond and bringing those two holocrons together. Or one holocron, right? No, one two holocrons. holocrons. The Sith and the Jedi two holocrons. holocrons. Yeah. And how it's not like the Force opened in like the same way with Rey and Kylo and like th- their instruments of the cosmic force. I don't think the same can be said for Ezra and Maul. No, no, definitely not. And like their their yeah. purpose too, I think plays into the force's role in what they're doing, or maybe not, because like Ezra says that he's the one that like pulled out of the vision first. He like made the conscious yeah. choice to end the vision before it was complete because he was worried about what Maul would see. Whereas, I don't know, like that's a situation where it's kind of like, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen from the force. But and Ezra made the choice himself to end it. But like with Ray and Kylo at the end of the Force Awakens, as you and I theorized, the cosmic force forcefully <laughs> split them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nuance and layers. I feel like we could talk about. We could probably do a whole episode on the Mendo. Maybe we will if there's enough demand. Let us know. <laughs> I think it'll just be a lot of like. I think he's really cool, and also I have no idea what he's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's good. He's good. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to move on to part three? Yes, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, welcome to part three, where we are going to attempt to talk a little bit more about some of the mysteries of the Force. Now, some of these things we have covered in other episodes. You've heard us talk about them before, but we've never really addressed them all together, at least not that I know of, and we have some new things to talk about. So I think first what we're going to discuss is Vader Immortal. So if you haven't played episode two or done a walkthrough, uh, we are going to be talking about episode two of Vader Immortal, which just came out two two weeks ago yeah uh fairly recently there are gameplays available if you're interested or if you happen to be lucky enough to own an oculus you should stop listening and go play and then come back um <laughs> also we are invite us over because i'd like to play Please? it <laughs> <laughs> thank you i live in georgia yeah. <laughs> i live in massachusetts <laughs> um at caitlin plusher you can 
DM me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, we are going to be talking about that. So if you have any spoilers for either episode one or episode two of Vader Immortal, you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. Now, I remember when the Vader Immortal one footage first started coming out. I think a lot of us watched it, but you and I didn't dive deep into it until we were invited to interview the creators behind Vader Immortal and man oh man (laughs) do I wish that we had paid attention to it sooner I know it's like it's really crazy how obsessed I am with the Vader Immortal lately like it's so interesting (laughs) the story Mm -hmm. that they're they're weaving and I feel like I also kind of like it because it's definitely flying under the radar and I can't help but kind of like that, that like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. And they're doing really cool things. And um, I don't feel like a lot of people are paying attention to it. And I think that it really can serve the story later. And the coolest thing about Vader Immortal, I think, I mean, there's a lot of really freaking awesome things about the story of Vader Immortal. But really, the coolest thing that I think they've introduced in Vader Immortal has to be the bright star. I don't know about you, Caitlin. But this idea that Mustafar used to be a thriving, flourishing planet is just something I had never considered before. And it's something we've talked about on the show already before, but the bright star and stop me, like help me out a little bit, Caitlin, if I get some things wrong here. But um, the bright star was this, you know, energy object. It's the life force of the people of Mustafar. Yes. It's how they describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's unclear to me whether or not it is made of kyber. It looks like it's made of kyber, but I don't it hasn't been confirmed yet. And I just I say that because it's called the bright star and I just I thought immediately of the Rogue One line the strongest stars have hearts of kyber and the bright star literally is just it has the power to bring people back from the dead including the power to restore life. Um on the planet. And ever since the... Caitlin, will you uh, walk through this story um, yes. a little bit with Lady Corvax? Because I think I'm going to get it wrong. So basically the story of Mustafar, which they do this incredible animation of it within the within the video game Vader Immortal, it reminds me a lot of that uh, from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when they talk about the three brothers. Um, yes, it's, it's like essentially totally inspired by that, I feel like. Yeah, I think it has to be. And it, it works so well. It's not the same style, like the same artistic style by any means, um, but it like the parallels are definitely there. And I think it they did it so well, um, the transitions and stuff in that story. It's it's beautiful to watch. If you enjoyed like the 2D animation of one, that, that scene in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and then also the Mortis God mural in the in Rebels. It's like the perfect mashup of those, I think. Um, so anyway, Lady Corvax and her husband—they're living, they're thriving on Mustafar. Mustafar is like this lush green planet um, with happy people and happy times, and they have the bright star, which is their life force. And then I think through battle. I think like a war breaks out or something, a civil war maybe. Anyway, there's there's bloodshed and Lady Corvax's husband dies. And Lady Corvax is so distraught about this that she removes the bright star from Mustafar. And that's when Mustafar literally dies. Um, it becomes the lava planet that we know it is today. And she tries to use the bright star to resurrect her husband. And I can't remember if she loses it or it disappears 
or like it doesn't work. Um, something like that, basically. But her fortress is underneath Vader's castle on Mustafar. And Vader is basically after the Bright Star because he believes that he can use it to bring back Padme. But the whole point, like the reason why Vader Immortal exists as a video game is because only uh, people who are from Lady Corvax's bloodline can access the fortress and use the Bright Star. So Vader basically seeks out someone who is an ancestor of Lady Corvax, which in the Vader Immortal, you are playing the role of an ancestor of Lady Corvax. So he basically teaches you the ways of the forest in order for you to use the Bright Star to bring Lady to bring Padme back. But mm-hmm. so that was kind of the setup in episode one. But in episode two, and I haven't watched through the whole walkthrough yet, so you might have to take over. But basically you find out that her husband Lady Corvax's husband is called the Black Bishop, and he, get this, <laughs> exists in between worlds. <laughs> it's crazy! <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the thing that episode two uncovers is that the Bright Star, it did partially work to bring back someone from death, but not all the way. <laughs> It's so it, just like actually now that you now it's in my head like thinking about the tale of three brothers from Harry Potter and how like the resurrection stone didn't necessarily bring back people in like the proper way um and they're they're different and therefore it's just it didn't perform in the way that they wished it to and i wonder if like the bright star is something similar to that you know Mm-hmm. But the the thing that it's just so nuts that we have a character in Star Wars that now somehow exists between worlds. What? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's almost like you should look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. I think we should look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah. And the thing that I – and like I said, I haven't finished a walkthrough of it yet. But the thing that I found really interesting is that – so basically Vader starts – so in episode one, Vader teaches you how to use a lightsaber. And then in episode two, he teaches you how to use the force. And you basically go deeper and deeper into the fortress, Lady Corvax's fortress that is underneath Vader's castle on Mustafar. And um, you basically go through the fortress. You, you get to see like all these like statues and murals and paintings and stuff like that too. And you eventually encounter the ghost, the presence, a hollow of Lady Corvax. I don't remember what it is. But she basically tells what I think is is cool is that she like this hologram or whatever it is um I don't remember but she basically wants her ancestor to take the bright star and give it back to the people of Mustafar and restore Mustafar to its former glory she basically like realized the error of her ways and trying to use it for her own selfish purposes in bringing back her husband and that she was like I did this and it cost the people of Mustafar everything and so she wants her ancestor the people back yeah she wanted she wants to bring mustafar back i think i think it's one of the most creative things lucasfilm has done within star wars canon to take a planet that we think we knew so well and to be like no (laughs) that's not at all the history of this place like this is not just this industrial lava mining place like this 
had a culture and a history and a life and it was destroyed far before long before any of this galactic empire versus you know rebellion jedi versus sith was going on um i just think it i just think it was something like really creative and different and it makes me look at every other planet now and be like hoth were you always icy is does your frozen heart need to be thawed <laughs> Whoa. Right? That frozen reference, though. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> that's our the second that, frozen reference. <laughs> the thing that's interesting is that they've built up Mustafar so much to be the planet where Jedi go to die. I think, I can't remember if it's Kanan or Hera who says that in Rebels, but it's kind of one of those iconic lines from Rebels that you hear about a lot. And Mustafar is really often referred to. It's not even labeled in Rogue One as Mustafar. It's just this evil-looking mm-hmm. planet where Vader has a castle. And I think – I just think that I, – I can't get over how much I love the idea that Mustafar is stuck – like almost as a whole planet is stuck, cursed, because Vader also himself in a way is cursed – and he's cursed and doomed to live out this misery. Um, and I think it's and it's because of his own actions. But I think the Mustafarians are like paying for the actions of someone else's own selfish intentions. And I think that's really interesting because in a way the Empire is – well, the, the galaxy at large is paying for the selfish actions of Anakin – and to allow the empire to rise. So in in a way that I, I feel like I just keep, every time in the show, I keep using this like my, uh, microcosm as a word because it really does feel like when you take all these elements of like force weirdness, force powers, everything, that it all is like a, a compartmentalized, compact version of something that we will see in the future and how it relates to the Skywalkers or the larger story as a whole. And I don't think Vader Immortal can escape that, especially coming out now. The creators, when we talked to them, seemed, um, I don't know, I think that we, we asked them some questions that, uh, I don't know, I feel like there's there's a lot to be told about the ending of this. I remember Caitlin and I asked like, well, this can't be successful, right? Like he's not going Vader's not going to be able to bring back Padme, right? Mm-hmm. But how fascinating would it be if he was able to bring her half back and like she was stuck in between somehow? And like wh- how would that story even be told? What if in Rise of Skywalker we not only get a Hayden Christensen cameo, Caitlin, Caitlin, <laughs> as she rises from the ashes of Mustafar, because she's stuck in between. Because she's stuck in. Between. I don't know. I think this like there's a, definitely a medical uh, medical what metaphorical <laughs> version of this. How like so so many characters are stuck in between, almost in um, like purgatory. In, in, in this, like, hellish landscape. Yeah. And I think that Anakin himself is kind of stuck there, too. And he, he needs to move to the next plane of living. Like, he needs to figure out what he really is about. <laughs> and he does in, Revenge of the, in Return of the Jedi. But I, I, I don't know. I just think that is there's a lot, a lot of crazy metaphorical stuff going on here. Oh, yeah. I think, I just think Musafar is, like, the whole Vader Immortal story is just bananas Mm -hmm. and i 
you know, a lot of people talked about going back to Musafar and the Rise of Skywalker, and I don't think I loved the idea of it before I read or before I watched Vader Immortal. And I think it would just be, it would be really interesting if there was some kind of conclusion to our story there. Um, Mm -hmm. Or maybe in future episodes of Vader Immortal, we actually jump ahead and see the ramifications of what happens in the Rise of Skywalker and its effect on Mustafar. I don't know. I just... You're right, like like Vader the Mustafar is so literally layered with parallels and direct connections to our Skywalkers of past, present, and future. <laughs> um I don't know. I just I I think it would be really interesting to see it brought up again in the Rise mm-hmm. of Skywalker because it is such a big deal and it is something that's kind of flying under the radar. So I don't know. And the fact that Mustafar was in Rogue One, it just seems like people know it, you know, and I think it's a very recognizable planet. Like the average moviegoer might not necessarily remember like Naboo, for example, mm-hmm. um, but Mustafar leaves an impact. Also, it's not hard to kind of extrapolate the meaning behind Mustafar. It would be uh, – it's – pretty like heavily visual that this is evil planet and evil planet will be evil and continues to be evil until it is changed over into beauty you know it wasn't evil planet it became evil planet when it was corrupted and manipulated and then it was and then that lava that, that that crimea river of lava just hardened and then it just needs to be cracked so that the light can come in Wow. <laughs> I just wanted to come up and rise of Skywalker so much. Yeah, I think like I think I just love the story of Corvax and the Black Bishop. Um, that I would love to see it somehow on the big screen. Yes. Uh, and I, I like too how in that story it's the woman who like falls Me too. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, to have her be like so passionately in love with her husband that she was willing to risk an entire planet for that love. Yeah. And then also see the air of her ways, enough wisdom to yeah. move beyond that. Yeah. Like character development. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so okay, let's talk about Mortis because. Yes. Okay. So we've talked at length about Mortis on our show. We have a whole episode with Courtney from Who Talks First, who is like the biggest Mortis fan I know. So you guys should go listen to that because it is like a therapy session. Um, And, but I think one thing that we really wanted to zero in on with the Mortis gods is this idea of resurrection and what happens with Mortis um, when the power, there's just like so much here, the power (laughs) that Anakin has, he's able to transfer the life from daughter into Ahsoka and bring her back. That's the gist of it. the, the, The magnitude of that ability it's just not lost on me, especially because it's just it is purposely tragic. Like the first time I watched that, I was like, you mean to tell me Anakin potentially has the ability to be a conduit of the force to bring someone back from the dead. And he spends an entire movie trying to figure out how to save someone from death. And I'm like, he's done it. <laughs> you know, it is, and yeah. I, <laughs> <Yeah>, God, <laughs> but like, of course he doesn't like fully remember. Or they think it's a dream. And I don't know. It's really confusing. The whole, like, do they remember Mortis? Do they not is one of those weird things. But 
I think that the very fact that this exists and in that moment, Anakin is fully balancing the force because he's able to do that, right? It's it's weird. He like steps up to his right as the chosen one and he's able to bring Ahsoka back. And it's, we don't really think that much about like the magnitude of what that means, but it definitely means that this power exists. It's out there. Yeah. And we're definitely going to see it in the Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, when, when you and I first became Raylos, I think that I love it's like pre Raylo Star Wars life, post Raylo Star Wars life. It really is. It really is. A (laughs) hundred percent. Um, Shout out to all you 2015 Rayla. <laughs> yeah, you guys are great and smart. You go, Glenn Coco, you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, when we first became Raylos and we were kind of learning about all these theories that Raylos had been putting out for the past couple of years prior to Last Jedi, the reverse Andy Dalla one came up so much. And I remember reading it and being like, like would they do that like that just sounds so crazy and like people were talking about like the beauty and beast parallels like with him you know resurrecting at the end of it after he's put you know supposedly died and like the resurrection aspect of it and like anakin wanting to save padme from death and, and like this whole thing and i remember just thinking like i yes i should pray low now but no like that just seems too insane to me to be legit but then you look at it and you're like well shoot resurrection has already happened (laughs) (laughs) i think you forget that like these crazy things have already been happening in star wars and not only that but like you said like someone like anakin is the one who's been doing it um so i think you're right like this 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 thing has been coming up so many times i mean comes up in the mortis gods more than once it comes up in vader immortal like you have to be paying attention to these patterns that are happening throughout star wars and what they're like what they're trying to tell you like what does it mean that lady corvax tries to resurrect her husband and kind of does but he gets stuck in a world between worlds (laughs) (laughs) and what does it mean that she like kills a planet in the process what does it mean mean? and then what does it mean that the mortis gods are this like trifecta of of balance or they're supposed to be and then one of them dies and anakin casually just transfers their life force to ahsoka and you brought this up a couple of episodes ago about how you know, if Anakin or if uh, Kylo and Rey represent son and daughter, those versions of the light and dark, then we've always talked about like, okay, well then like who is father? And for a while it was like, is it Luke? But that never felt right because it isn't right. And it because like you said this, that it is Anakin, like Anakin represents that father figure between them because he's the one who's able to do it. Like he's the patriarch of this Skywalker family. And this is such a good example from Mortis of like, yeah. He can do it. He's already done it. Uh, and he, mm-hmm. like you said, it's like him stepping into his destiny uh, to bring up an earlier podcast episode. It's him stepping into his destiny of actually fulfilling that lifelong dream. And I think that lifelong dream, that sounds that's a weird way to put it, but like that goal. And you're right. It's just like so much more tragic and ironic that he is able to do this here and then can't figure it out when he needs it again. Uh, that's super sad. It's almost like there is a line in The Force Awakens that Maz Kanata says, you have the same eyes in different people. Like you see the same eyes in different people. Yes. It almost like that has 
a, a ripple effect throughout all Star Wars storytelling that we should be looking at these patterns and thinking about what really does it mean, like you said. What does it mean? Um, Things happen in threes, and we've now seen Resurrection twice in new Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Curious. So <sighs> actually, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if you could even, I guess it's not really Resurrection. I was going to say, like, bringing Ahsoka back, but that's not really Resurrection. Um well, let's talk about what it is. Oh, let's move oh, okay. on to talking about Palpatine and world, world between worlds, and which we've talked about a ton. So I don't think we'll the, the stuff about this force mystery stuff is the force and like the force weirdness and all this like crazy stuff that's happening is definitely my favorite part of Star Wars, and I just love it getting weird, and that's why I really want to do this episode. And it's almost like I want. I think that this this format might work. Like we might, we'll probably have more things to talk about. Like maybe we'll do like a weird force stuff part two episode in a couple months. Like you never know, right? And there, the questions that you can ask about world between worlds is, which we've been asking for a really long time. Of like, so why was why was the empire looking for this? Why did they want this? Did they know what was inside? Did they know? what Ezra would find inside was Palpatine really just trying to prolong his life it was something more than that and what is going on with that casual blood sacrifice <laughs> can't can't discuss it enough <laughs> yeah truly cannot say more about the casual blood sacrifice I'm telling you I think Palpatine is gonna use Kylo in a casual blood sacrifice to lure Rey or the opposite I think that – I yes, but I also think that Palpatine can easily manipulate Kylo. I don't think he could easily manipulate Rey as easily. Well, I don't know. I don't know. God, I don't know. Dark Rey. No Dark Rey, where's yeah, that? No one's out of the realms of being manipulated by Palpatine. That's why he's the ultimate villain. I know. I know. I know. I know. Anyway, I'm just – casual blood sacrifice, number one. Casual blood sacrifice. <laughs> First and foremost. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, it really comes up in the Yoda arc and like – it it's so much. <laughs> I think it's, I think it, I think it's worth repeating because I think it's super prevalent in this world between worlds discussion. So in the Yoda arc, Yoda goes to this like secret Sith temple. I won't get into that whole discussion, but basically, Palpatine knows that Yoda is there through the Force. Okay, he knows that Yoda is there, which is so freaky that he even knows that. So he knows that Yoda is there, but that's all he knows. So he takes Dooku, right? You know, Count Dooku used to be Yoda's Padawan. So he takes Dooku to this like pensive looking bird bath and he bird bath. <laughs> takes Dooku's blood, <laughs> puts yep. it in the bird bath, <laughs> like, <Indeed. basically laughs> slices Dooku's hand over the bird bath, like you usually see with casual blood sacrifices, <laughs> and uses the blood, <laughs> can't, uses the blood to connect Dooku to Yoda. He basically manipulates creates a force bond. And creates a force bond through Dooku's blood to Yoda because they were once master and Padawan and they have a force bond that cannot be easily be broken. Again, we're seeing like these patterns come up in a lot of different places. <laughs> and <laughs> so they connect. Palpatine manipulates Yoda's visions. Anyway, bada bang, bada boom, they fight. That whole Yoda arc happens. So then in Rebels, in World Between Worlds, we see Palpatine with the pensive birdbath 
again when he enters into the world between worlds. But he only enters into the world between worlds once Ahsoka is there. So me, I was like, oh my god, he used Vader as a blood sacrifice (laughs) to get into the world between worlds because he knew that Ahsoka was there. And he didn't have Kanan, so he didn't have this way to connect with Ezra. And because he doesn't have like that kind of force bond with his own Padawans or like apprentices or, you know, like a heart, he has to use the emotions of others. (laughs) And so I think he performed a casual blood sacrifice with Vader to get to Ahsoka in the world between worlds. And then I think that's going to happen in some form or fashion. Like, can you imagine if we see the pensive birdbath (laughs) in the Rise of Skywalker? We might because we've already seen this like blue fire. Yes. Yes, so on the poster, the big poster. Yes. So I think that I think there's going to be another casual blood sacrifice. And it's going to be crazy. I just, the like, fact that we have blood sacrifices in Star Wars is just like so nice. I know. Like that's the thing. You're like Star Wars is so cut and dry and then you're like wait a second. <laughs> well, that's really the thing that like I feel like everyone says, "Oh, Star Wars is really simple like it's just really simple and then i'm like it's really not like (laughs) you spend like two hours thinking about what all these things represent and mean it's it's not super simple (laughs) no Uh, it's super dark yep so in terms of force mysteries that's definitely a force mystery (laughs) is (laughs) that's the biggest one on our list (laughs) right now well it's just like that i really do think the biggest question is like why is Palpatine back? What does he really want? It has to be a bigger answer than just prolonging life, right? It has to be. Well, I think it's like prolonging life in order to control life. And Oh, God. You're so right. Yeah. Thank you. The thing is, is he like the Black Bishop where he's existing in this world between worlds? Wow. I never considered that. That is super interesting. That Palpatine almost isn't like fully back. Well, I mean, that's the question, right? It's like, is he a clone? No. Is he a force ghost? Is he just like a spirit? Or did he just like like land in like a ball pit at the bottom of the Return of the Jedi (laughs) chasm? And he was like, well, I'm fine. (laughs) Well, the thing that's – it's kind of interesting even to make another Harry Potter parallel with Voldemort. Voldemort was destroyed and he split his soul into seven bits. But when he comes back and returns in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, he isn't fully himself and has to inhabit a host. And I think that there are a lot of people like, who is Matt Smith? Is Matt Smith in The Rise of Skywalker? Will he be, you know, the host that Palpatine's spirit inhabits? Whatever, mm. right? Like, that's a, that's something that comes up. Yeah, I hope that there's not that kind of harry potter i know it's just a little it's it's a little much but i do think that there's like there's something there about if you can if you want to draw the black bishop parallel about like palpatine existing halfway and needing the power to go like fully back into life and seeking that power through you know some other form maybe it's rain kylo who he's you know he's pretty evil very (laughs) like the most deadpan response you could have given me (laughs) extremely evil me making like a light joke of things you no emotion yeah Yeah, i guess he is evil evil. he's very (laughs) evil you know palpatine it's not even new god what are they doing we all know he's evil good lord (laughs) anyway there's 
is there anything else that you want to talk about with the Force Mysteries? Because, again, I do feel like we could be here all night talking about this. But Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot we haven't talked about, too. Um, so I think – Like, I feel like we need to do a part two. I think we probably will do a part two, but I think we've got to do that in 2020 because you know what they say, hindsight is 2020. And so <laughs> that's like – I got to figure out how to work that into, like, a Star Wars motto for, like – Caitlin's been saying this for a while. She's like, can't wait for 2020 because hindsight's going to be 2020. <laughs> and, and I've been like, yes, yes, girl, you're right. But okay. <laughs> my way of saying like the Raylos were right in 2020. Everyone will look back and be like, oh, the Raylos were right. And we'll be like, yes. Yes. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. <laughs> Once, because we're in the middle of the story right now. We're in the dark and middle chapter. You need the full picture to appreciate the full story. Hindsight is 2020, and it just so happens that the story will be over in 2020. And that's when a lot of analysis will be happening in 2020 because you know what they say. Hindsight is 2020. Okay. I think you need a bumper sticker of that <laughs> to put on your car. <laughs> Me with my contacts. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I definitely do think we should do a uh, a part two because, you know, whatever does happen. The thing is that, like, I think the thing is that we've been talking about with all of these, the thing, hmm, let me start over. With all of these things that we've been discussing throughout this episode, they have all had connections to one another, but they're not all the same. And so I know we talk a lot about, like, World Between Worlds is going to show up in The Rise of Skywalker, or, like, Mustafar is going to show up in The Rise of Skywalker. The pensive birdbath and casual blood sacrifice are going to show up in The Rise of Skywalker. But... I don't think that these things will happen verbatim the same way. I just think there'll be more parallels. Like, that's why whenever we talk about it, we're like, they're, Ray and Kyler are going to go to a world between worlds type of place. They're not actually going mm-hmm. to go to that same place that Ky- or that Ezra goes to. They're going to go to some place completely new because the connection that they have is completely new from what we've seen most people in Star Wars have. Even though, like, that Secrets of the Jedi book talks about people being able to you know see what each other see what they see and feel what they feel like Ray and Kylo are really the first people that we've seen really do that in a big way like masters and apprentices have connections with each other like Anakin and Padme had force bonds with each other but it was nothing like what Ray and Kylo have like there's really is kind of this um pinnacle and perhaps that will be change later on with new things that are coming out but as of right now they're kind of the ones that are writing this story and that was the great thing about what ryan did in the last jedi is that he not created but he built on this thing that hadn't been explored yet and he introduced new sides of the force so all the things that we're talking about as far as like force users and force mysteries i think you just have to look at these big picture themes that are being pulled from them and a lot of those big picture themes are balance um resurrection the unknown and like bonds are kind of these big things that have been brought up in different ways throughout these crazy this weird force stuff and so all of those pieces are already embedded in the sequel trilogy and they're going to be re-put together in a new way in the in the rise of skywalker but i think as long as we're on the right track here, which I, I, I think and I hope that we are, <laughs> it will be surprising, but it shouldn't be shocking. 
if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, because yes. hopefully we've been following the right steps that have been presented to us. Like hopefully we've been picking up on the right things that Story Group has been planting in literally all these different mediums. I mean, we've gone through comics and books and video games and animation and other films that aren't even related to the saga films. You know, I don't know. I just, um, it makes me really excited to see what elements we're going to recognize from the weird force in The Rise of Skywalker, but then also like, holy crap, what are they going to do that there's no way we could have even anticipated happening, but is going to make perfect sense. Like Palpatine. It's like, whoa, pal, like what? And then it's like, ah, oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better than you, to be honest. I think that you really summed it up and why it's so important to look at all these different pieces. And some of them might even seem small, but they really, they could have, I mean, you don't know, but they could have major story implications later. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely could. And uh, as you told me, we're two months out. <laughs> and uh, two months two months <laughs> and and we're days away if you're listening to this on saturday okay we're days away from when we from a trailer. think the trailer is coming we're probably still days away from a trailer okay <laughs> um, <laughs> so hopefully the next time you hear from us it'll be a full teaser trailer reaction and or analysis and uh oh boy you know, oh if you remember from the top of the show, we are Roadrunner running on air. So enjoy this ignorance <laughs> while it lasts. Absolutely. Um, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we, you know, you know us. We love the Weird Force stuff. So if there are things that we didn't bring up, let us know so we can put it into Weird Force stuff part two that'll be coming out in 2020. And you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or my personal handle is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com. We have a Facebook and an Instagram if you're interested in either of those. And if you're interested in supporting us more, we also have our Patreon. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes, which really helps people find our show and it really makes us happy too. So if you want in your review, you can even tell us who you would do a casual blood sacrifice for. I don't know. Could be interesting. (laughs) People would read that and be like, what's this show about? And then they'd give it a listen. (laughs) If you say bonus points, if you say Quinlan Foss. Yes. Uh. Yes. <laughs> well, like, I don't know what we'll, we'll do something if you somehow leave a, a legible review that mentions both Quinlan Voss and casual blood sacrifice and still makes sense overall. So <laughs> that's your challenge. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, you can't just leave us a regular review too on iTunes. That also makes us very happy as well. You can also email us at skytalk. You can also email us on Gmail, and our email address is skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons. 
Jason, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Gina, Shelbo, Joey, James, Kathy, Gee, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Bradley, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Kristen, Ewan, Tom the Fanboy, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Jalia, Matthew, Captain Britain, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabers Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.